This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by the Blythe Hollow Tourist Board. Come visit Blythe Hollow. It's a great place to hang. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And around this time every year, we like to do an episode that's uh, more family-friendly affairs, like this week's episode on 1993's Hocus Pocus and 2012's Paranorman. But before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What 1989 movie is about a group of psychics that are stalked by puppets who have come to life? Puppet Master. Yes. Yeah. All right, Kelsey. In real life, the town of Salem, Massachusetts, is named after the Hebrew and Arabic words for what abstract concept? I feel like I, I knew this at some point. You're definitely going to recognize the Hebrew and Arabic words that it comes from, but it Salem doesn't sound like the word that it means. I know, but I... I I knew this at some point, but go ahead. The name of the town comes from the Hebrew word shalom and the Arabic word salam, both meaning peace, ironically. (laughs) I guess they wanted to keep the peace so hard that they killed a bunch of witches from Danvers, apparently, which is where most of the witches came from, not actually Salem. Oh, interesting. That leads us into our first movie, which takes place in Salem. 1993's Hocus Pocus, directed by Kenny Ortega, story by David Kirshner and Mick Garris, screenplay by Mick Garris and Neil Cuthbert. Kelsey, does the name Mick Garris ring any bells? It sounds really familiar. We know Mick Garris from writing Critters 2 and directing Critters 2, as well as the television miniseries of The Shining and The Stand, Ah. all of which we've covered on this show. So he directed this? He wrote this. It stars, of course, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathy Najimy, Thora Birch, and even Doug Jones. What is Hocus Pocus about? A virgin lights a black flame candle (laughs) on on Halloween night in 1993, 300 years after three witches were hanged, and they come back to get their revenge. Were they hanged or were they burned? Why don't I remember this from the movie? They were hanged. They were hanged. Okay. Interesting. I don't think they would have shown. I don't think Disney was willing to do. But they would show a hanging? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In fact, Sarah makes a joke about it's very uncomfortable. Well, remember that they were hanged for later. Okay. Okay. The movie is available with a subscription, of course, on Disney Plus, because this is a Disney movie. You can rent it for $3 on iTunes and Amazon. $4 $4 on the rest of the major players, and you can buy it for $10 on all those same services. Should people watch Hocus Pocus? Yes. 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 I mean, come on. It is so good. It's just 90 minutes of 
family fun. (laughs) (laughs) And Bette Midler is just insane in this movie. She is so good. Yes. It's like she was made for this movie. Uh, In some interviews, she has said that this is her favorite role that she's ever done. And when approached about the sequel that they're apparently making for Disney Plus, she said she hopes they do, in fact, get her for it because she would like to do it before she turns into dust. (laughs) Apparently, it's what she said. (laughs) Yeah, watch the dang movie. I mean, come on. Well, you can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1993's Hocus Pocus. Back in 1693, the people of Salem, Massachusetts Witches! Thought they got rid of the Sanderson sisters for good Uh, We shall be back! 300 years later, it's Halloween Eve And they're back Uh We are home! Are you boys a little old to be trick-or-treating? We're talking about three ancient hags versus the 20th century. How bad can it be? Now they're digging up old friends. <laughs> and running amok. Looking for the one thing they miss most. You stay for supper. I'm not hungry. Oh, but we are. Only one boy has the power to stop them. Prepare to die again! You have no powers here, you fool! Before all Salem falls under their spell. Hello, you! Disney Pictures presents Bette Midler. Uh, hello. Sarah Jessica Parker. Without dance with me. And Kathy Najimi. Hocus Pocus. Into the night! They love to fly. And it shows. Good night. Sleep tight. No screaming. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Hocus Pocus begin? Well, it's Salem in 1693. Thackeray Binks wakes up. Thackeray Binks. I love that name, Thackeray. Yeah, he's uh, he's dubbed. He is dubbed by the voice of Max, ironically, because, of course, the young hip kid as the main star is named Max. But it's the voice of Max Goof from Goofy Movie, Jason Marsden. Why he didn't just play Thackeray. It's the weirdest fucking thing. Do you think it's because he's so short? I'm pretty sure he's pretty short. I have no idea. Yeah, but like, come on. They picked him because they thought he had a better voice. Like he could, the the accent was better. It's really thick. But still, like, why not just cast him then? Exactly. Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) And it's funny because I was always attracted to him. The actor? Yes, but like his voice is part of that, you know? Thackeray, the actual physical actor, is Sean Murray, who a lot of people know as McGee from NCIS. That's Thackeray. I don't know what that is. He's the computer nerd. Okay. (laughs) Sure. But so he has woken up and his sister Emily is missing. And so he goes to speak with another boy. And you can kind of hear Sarah Jessica Parker singing in the background. 
her song that she will sing later. And the kid that he goes up to says, I don't know where Emily is, but look, they conjure. Yeah. And you can see... Smoke coming from the woods. Yeah. Yes. And then we get to see inside their house, and it's the three witches... Sarah, which is funny because it's played by Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh huh. Winifred, played by Bette Midler, and Mary, played by Kathy and Jimmy. Yes. And we get to see the famous book with the eye. With the eye, yes. Mm-hmm. Kathy and Jimmy's character, uh, Mary, is always trying to like impress Winnie and make Sarah look stupid. But she- they're both kind of bumbling. Yes, they're yeah. both very, they're, I mean, all three of them are bumbling, but right. Winnie is the most- It's the competent one. Most I guess, competent yeah. one, yeah. She's making this big potion, and she's reading the things out loud, and one of the things she says is a dead man's toe, which Sarah loves, and she goes, mm. a dead man's toe! Dead man's toe and make it a fresh one! Dead man's toe! Dead man's toe and a dead man's toe! Dead man's toe! And, They're all um, so good. They're all just so good. They are. They're just totally invested in their characters. Yes. That's what. That's one of the things that I love about this is that, yes, it is silly. Yes, it is just family-friendly fun. You know, it's it, it's got all, well, not all, but most of the edges just sanded off. But everyone is just dead committed to their roles. Like, especially these three witches. Yes. Kathy and Jimmy will say, I smell a child. And Winnie's like, what do you think that is right there? And then later, and later when they figure out that Thackeray is in there, she says, I thought I smelled a boy. And it's like, well, then why didn't you say, I think I smell a boy, not a little girl. Because she's afraid of her sister, man. That's true. But so they, uh, they've given her the potion and the little girl. And she's got this mist going around her. Winnie goes, and her life will be mine. I mean, ours. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that Winnie is always, she always puts herself first, but at the same time, she does care about her sisters Uh at the same time. And so then they find out that it's Thackeray. Thackeray ends up spilling the rest of their potion. Yeah. You'd think they'd learn from this. Right. (laughs) But they don't. The exact same thing will happen 300 years from now. They end up, they hurt him in some way and they go and they- She does the the force lightning thing on Thackeray. Yes. Yes. She has like electricity coming out of her hands. (laughs) And so they end up drinking the little girl's life force and they kill a little girl on screen. They do. They straight up kill her. Yes, you see the dead body, too. It's not like they cut away. Although the body does does move, like the actress does move. Does she? Yes, but she is dead. Yes. Yeah, her head goes down. Uh-huh. So she's definitely supposed to be dead. Bette Midler looks in the mirror, and I love her reaction. She goes, well, younger, but it's a start. <laughs> Meanwhile, Thackeray, who's been hurt by them, sits up and is just like, you hag. And I love Winnie's response of, sisters, did you hear what he called you? <laughs> she's like, well, we've got we've to get back at him. So she gets her book and she's like, dazzle me, my darling. And it flips through the pages and she's flipping through. And then she goes, ah, perfect, as usual. He, his punishment will not be to die, but to live forever with his guilt. 
And I love that the sister's response kind of becomes a song. As what, Winnie? As what? And then she immediately starts going into her little uh, spell, which is uh-huh. kind of like a song. His punishment shall not be to die, mm-hmm. but to live forever with his guilt. As what, Winnie? As what? Jump back. Twist the bones and bend the back. Here to cover the American mystic. Trim him of his baby fat. Here to cover the American mystic. Give him fur black as black, just like this. I wrote down here, I so wanted to be Sarah Jessica Parker. Just everything she does in this movie. Mm -hmm. This movie came out when I was uh, like five. I wanted to be her so bad. Yep. You were almost six. It came out in July, I want to say. Yeah. So you were almost six years old, which is funny because it's a Halloween movie. But it's the same year that Nightmare Before Christmas came out. And supposedly... Disney wanted to sort of separate their Halloween movies. But here's the thing. It didn't come out as a Disney movie. Exactly. It came out as a Touchstone movie, Touchstone. I want to say. Yeah. Which was Disney's way of avoiding things that might not be kid-friendly. Yes. Uh, and they would put the Touchstone label on it. But yeah, that's, I guess they they still, regardless of, you know, what name was they on it. They didn't want to Yeah, they didn't want to be competing with themselves. <laughs> is the popular idea, but nobody really has said officially why they released it earlier in the year. You know what's hilarious about that? I very specifically remember my mom being like, I don't know if you're going to like this movie. It might be too scary for you. And I specifically... Pocus Pocus? Yes. And I specifically remember afterwards being like, oh my God, mom, I can't believe you thought I'd be afraid of that. Do you you know what a virgin was? (laughs) No, I had no fucking idea. I... It's, it's that, so weird. There's so, so many weird. weird things about this movie <laughs> that I'm just like, Disney wasn't afraid to be a part of this, but it was afraid to be a part of Nightmare. But what's hilarious about that is no one blinked when I went to see Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. And maybe Oogie because Boogie it was animated. Scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Anyway, what does she do? What does she turn him into? A cat. Yes. A little kitty cat, which surprisingly is. Like, remarkably good CG for 1993. I think it's great. I've always thought it was And for great. such a generally low-budget movie. Like, yes, it's around this time, what is it, 94 or something like that, that Jurassic Park came out? Uh, or maybe 92, I don't remember. And Jurassic Park has this incredible, incredible CG. But they dumped so much money into that. But apparently the original design was more realistic and more cat-like, but they thought it was a little bit too frightening. <laughs> so they, they like, dulled down the fangs and stuff like that and, and made it a little bit more cute than a real cat uh, would be. But they had seven, eight, nine different cats that they had trained to do different things, to, like, swat at things, to jump on things, to hiss, or what have you. Uh, and then they would, when he talked put CG over the top of that. And there was also a animatronic version of the cat that would just sit there uh, when it would do its talking and they would put CG over the top of that. So yeah, they turn him into a cat. So the people of Salem get the sisters, of course, and they go to hang them. And one of the Puritans is like, what hast thou done with my son Thackeray? (laughs) She goes, Thackeray, Thackeray, hmm. Cat's got my tongue. (laughs) And none of them get the joke. 
yes, they're all hanged. And I love that when they hang them, you can see all their their uh, feet, their stockings. Yes. uh You didn't mention, though, that as they're hanging there before they actually get dropped, she summons the book over and it opens up in front of them and she casts this spell, which basically says if it is Halloween night, All Hallows Eve and a full moon. If a virgin lights the black flame candle, which is made from the fat of a dead man or fat of a something kind of man. I can't remember what kind of man. Then they would come back. A hangman? It's a hangman. Maybe. Then they would come back and only for the night unless they could cast the same spell they cast on this little girl to get more life back. Yes. Like it's terribly convoluted. But it works. But it works. (laughs) It took 300 years. Of course, people with a farmer's almanac will know there was no full moon in 1993 on Halloween. I think the last time it had happened was like in the 20s or something like that. That's crazy. Sorry, that's not right. It's a full moon on Halloween with daylight savings time. Was in because the concept of daylight savings is going to come up. But it's not true. Right. Yes. I'm just saying that 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 would be a, a horribly convenient turn of events for that to happen. <laughs> but so we then get to see the cat trying to get the attention of the people and they kick him aside. Away, beast, away. And you might be wondering, well, why doesn't he talk? Well, because people... Puritans would kill a cat that could talk. Yes, there are several theories about that. That is one. Um, he he spends the next 300 years preventing people from lighting this candle. And some people also theorize that he doesn't get the power of speech until the candle is lit, bringing the witch's magic back into the world. But that wouldn't explain why he stays a cat. Because that's yeah. part of the witch's magic, too. And not to mention, he doesn't act like it's a big deal when he can yeah. talk. Or that only people that lit the flame, the black flame candle, he can talk to or something like that. Yeah, there are plenty of theories, but the movie never actually says. Well, the most obvious one is that Puritans would straight up murder a cat yeah, that could uh-huh. talk. They wouldn't listen to what the cat had to say. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, there is a full moon this year, actually. On Halloween. Yes. That's very cool. Last time was in 2001. Wow. We're going to have to go outside. Oh, yeah. That moon. But so that story ends up becoming something that a teacher is telling their kids 300 years later. No one ever knew whatever happened to Thackeray Binks. Max is having none of it. The new kid in town. Like, bullshit. (laughs) And then he says some stupid line about everybody knows that the candy company invented Halloween. And it's like, okay, who doesn't realize that it's a thing we've celebrated since oh, yeah. nearly the dawn of time? Lots of different cultures have celebrated something around harvest time. Fucking watch Halloween tree, people. Yeah. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy in that, too. <laughs> but so he's corrected very quickly by... His love interest. Yeah, who apparently he didn't notice until just now. Allison, played by Vanessa Shaw. And where have we seen Vanessa Shaw before? She, <laughs> oh my God, 
is the little girl in Home Sweet Home, the Thanksgiving movie. Yes, she is. She's the little girl that you think is dead until they find her under the table. Yes, uh huh. <laughs> That's remarkable. Max has a really smooth line here where he says, well, if you get scared tonight, here's my number. Give me a call. In front of the entire class. He is not lacking confidence whatsoever. He's not your normal sort of protagonist in these sorts of movies. Which is weird because it's that's not the character that we see for the rest of the film. No, he is. He's just also aware that if he's approached by two bullies, they're going to kick his ass. <laughs> He doesn't care about looking like a fool trying to romance women. He cares about getting his face pounded in. That's true. But then Allison does him dirty and she sees him out there and she goes up and talks to him as if she's flirting with him. And then she goes trick or treat. And you think that she's giving him her number, but no, she's giving him his number back. <laughs> and I've always felt like, isn't that like a total like, no? Right. But then later, she's totally into him. Yeah, I'm sorry. Guys, if you give your number to somebody, and then they give you, then they give it back, which isn't like, nobody does that anymore. They don't write their number down and hand it over. But if that happens, stop pursuing that person. That is a straight up solid no. Oh, and guys, if you're listening still, if a girl ever gives you her number, do not immediately call it. Oh, God, that is such a dick move. Do not call it because one of two things is going to happen either one it's going to be her number and she's going to be like seriously you had to check and see if it was really right me. yeah or two it's a fake number and she's trying to spare the awkward interaction yeah so guys don't fucking do that shit and that's our romance advice for this episode yes <laughs> okay so he's riding his bike back to his house and he cuts through the graveyard and he gets stopped by these two dudes. Now I've always had a little bit of a problem with this cause he's got a bike. Yeah. Just right away, dog. Yeah. Like you might look like a coward, but at least you'd have your shoes, Uh huh. but he doesn't ride away. And they're like, you know, they're just, they're stupid bullies. Like, he says, they ask him, where are you from? And he says, Los Angeles. And they both kind of look at him and he goes, L.A. And they're like, oh. <laughs> and, you know, oh, tubular, which is the exact same joke they make in uh, Stranger Things, by the way. Do they? I don't know if the word specifically is tubular, but I think it is. They say this word and remember it's when Max shows up and. and oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure when Lucas finds out that she's from California, he says tubular, and she's like, uh, nobody actually says that. <laughs> you're cool and different. You're super smart. And you're, like, totally tubular. <laughs> nobody actually says that, you know? I also love that the one guy... So, the one guy introduces them. He says his name, whatever that is, Jay. and he goes... Jay, and then he says, and this is Ernie, uh-huh. and he goes, how many times I got to tell you, my name ain't Ernie no more, it's, it's ice. ice, and he has ice shaved into the back of his head, which makes Max laugh, and it's really good, Max has some really good one-liners here, they want smokes from him, he doesn't smoke, they want money from him, he doesn't ha- he's not going to give them any money, so they're like, well, what the fuck are we supposed to do, and... Max goes, maybe you could learn to breathe through your nose. (laughs) (laughs) And 
Jay, Jay laughs. laughs, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and they end up taking his shoes from him. His Which, Nikes. There is a big Nike commercial throughout this movie. The coveted shoes are Nikes. And later when he has to pack a duffel bag, it's a Nike brand duffel bag. I don't know. I just always felt like, dude, get on your bike. Or I don't know. I guess I kind of have like the Thora Birch yeah. stupid idea of get like fucking be, like stick up for yourself. Oh, yeah. No, I'm definitely the Max in this relationship. And Kelsey <laughs> is the Thora Birch. Kelsey has like... No patience for people not sticking up for themselves. And I'm like, yeah, that's all well and good. They're not going to pound your face in. It will be mine. But I don't care. <laughs> I, I mean, like, not about you, but like, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't care if they beat me up because I'm going to fight back. Yeah, but they're not gonna. <laughs> and I'm going to fight dirty. <laughs> Look, I don't start fights, but if you're going to start I end them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he gets home. He feeds his fish. He's thinking about Allison out loud, which is silly. Uh-huh. And Thor Birch is in his closet. His oh, sister. Allison. Yes. Yes. He's looking. He's like holding his pillow saying, Allison, Allison. And then she. Danny. Jumps out and scares him. And he, she lays on his bed and she's like. I'm Allison. Kiss me. I'm Allison. And I, Which is a little creepy. She doesn't I know how creepy that is. always thought it was so weird. <laughs> Even when I was five, I was like, that's a weird thing to do. Because, guys, okay, guys, I have an older brother, and it was a very similar relationship where we did not get along. This one put a little too family-friendly of a spin on our relationship. Oh, yeah. But very similar. So like ev- like when I was watching this movie in the theater, I totally and completely related to Thora Birch. Mm-hmm. It it also helped that yes, I looked a lot like her when I was a kid. She had bigger lips than I did, but other than that, we looked a lot alike. And I also had an orange witch's outfit, which was not bought for this purpose. So we just I had a lot in some in kind with her, but like even when I saw her do this at five years old, I was like, that's weird. That's brother. <laughs> but so she wants him to take her trick-or-treating because their parents are going to a party tonight. To meet, you know, to, to mingle with the, the adults in town. There's an adult party at, like, some sort of town... Town hall. Meeting hall thing, yeah. But... And I get it's I guess it's because it's a small town. Yeah. What's the concern? You let your kids go trick or treating by themselves. What's the concern? Yeah. I guess. But also, who's giving out candy if all the adults are at this party? Well, we know some adults aren't at the party. Right. We know all the rich adults are at Allison's house. <laughs> so the movie kind of explains away how later on in the movie, all these kids are going to be walking through the town and nobody's stopping them. It's like, where are all these kids parents? Oh, yeah. They're at this dance thing later. But, like, what about all the rich parents? They don't care about their kids, evidently. Apparently not. <laughs> but like I said, who's giving out all the candy if the par- if all the adults are at these two parties? Right. Anyway, so she tells him, you're taking me trick-or-treating. And, of course, he doesn't want to take her. And he's like, you're eight. Go by yourself. And then she's just like, mom. And, of course, she gets her way. And when he comes downstairs, his dad's like, what are you supposed to be, Max? And he's got sunglasses on. He's like a rap singer. And and he goes, oh, well, shouldn't your hat be on sideways then? (laughs) This dad is so cool. These parents 
are really cool, actually. I like them a lot. I also haven't mentioned how in love I was with Max as well. I was in love with both Max and Thackeray, and Thackeray's voice as a fucking cat. Like, there are so many things from my childhood that I'm like, that's why I'm weird. <laughs> that's why. Max is played, we haven't said, by Omri Katz. Kelsey, who is Omri Katz? He is the guy from Erie, Indiana. He is. I liked that show a lot. Yes, that show was great. Yes. For some reason, the episode that just sticks in my brain and always has is, let's see, can you identify what that episode is? Is it the one about the the kids that she puts in the, um, in the plastic containers? No, but that's not a bad guess. <laughs> it's the one where the friend gets the braces and he can hear dogs talking? Oh my god, I remember that episode. <laughs> that was a weird episode. I love, I mean, I loved that shit when I was a kid. Yeah. I loved that. I loved Goosebumps, but... Are You Afraid of the Dark was too scary. It was on cable, so I didn't have it. <laughs> there was Whenever. a huge gap in my childhood from ages three to like 16 where I did not have cable. Whenever the, the music for Are You Afraid of the Dark would come on, I'd get too scared. I can't even think of that. We've, we've watched episodes. We've watched lots of episodes. Yeah, and I can't even think of it. All I, uh, When you said that, all I could think of was... Dun, 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 dun. That's goosebumps. I know. <laughs> oh, I can hear the music. It's just that it's kind of hard to to do vocally. And I can immediately see the intro. I see all the creepy shit that they show you. And the, the camera's kind of panning mm. sideways. And uh, it's all bluish color. And then the match strikes. Yeah. And it says, are you afraid of the dark? Oh, as a kid, just that intro alone, I was like, mm-mm, can't do it. That was on SNCC, wasn't it? It was on Nick. Yeah, but Saturday Night Nick. Oh, I have no idea if it was Saturday Night. No, they called it Snick. It was this whole programming block that they had. So, Max takes Thora Birch, his little sister, whose name is Danny. Yeah. (laughs) Trick-or-treating. While out, Max will see the two bullies from earlier with even more guys now on their side. And he tries to get Danny to go the other way. But she is a little bitch, kind of like what I guess I would be. Uh-huh. Except that if I could avoid a problem, I would avoid the problem. Like I said, it's not until you come after me. You come after me, I'm not gonna let I'm not gonna back down. It's not gonna happen. Which is probably a bad thing, but whatever. It's why it's why Kelsey thinks she would survive apocalypses, but would most certainly die really quickly. <laughs> Look. I probably wouldn't survive a lot of aspects of an apocalypse, but there are certain things I think I would excel in Mm -hmm. if I could make it to that point. Mm -hmm. Could I feed myself? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) But like all of like, I know to leave everyone behind. I know uh, to make sacrifices. Basically, her policy is to be a raging bitch. And that's what I think is going to get her in trouble. (laughs) A good quality to have in certain scenarios, a bad quality to have in others. (laughs) But so Thora Birch walks down the steps and they stop her and they're like, give us your candy. She's like, I'm not giving you shit because I've got my big brother with me, Max. And Max shows up because he has to. Uh And they're like, oh, so you're going trick-or-treating. And he's like, I'm taking my sister around. Fuck all of you. And he's trying to 
to suppress the situation, mm. uh, trying to diffuse diffuse the situation. And she's like, for your information, he's a little leaguer. <laughs> Even as a kid, I knew that wasn't impressive. Uh-huh. I remember sitting in the theater being like, I wouldn't say that well, about she, I, Sean. I think she doesn't understand the, the sarcasm from these other guys and thinks, oh, you're an idiot and I'm going to correct you with the right answer. I don't think she's thinking about impressing them. Well, anyway, Max diffuses it entirely by giving him, them all their candy. All of his candy. All of his hers, candy. Yeah. As they're walking away, she's like, you should have punched him. And he's like, they would have killed me. And she's like, at least you would have died like a man. <laughs> Which is a very silly thing to say. Yeah. But I do believe in standing up for yourself. And I do believe that when you back down, you are asking for more people to walk all over you. There's a difference between backing down and ignoring. True. I think Max handled this well. Mm-hmm. Because who gives a shit about candy? Right. But I do care about his shoes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. But so, he gets very mad when she says this, and he's just like, you just humiliated me in front of half the guys in school, which isn't true. So get your candy and get out of my life. And meanwhile, there's this lady that answers the door, just standing there with a bowl of candy like, um, are you going to take the candy? And she's relieved when another group of kids comes up. Yes. It's really funny. But yes. Thora Birch throws a fit, like, not like a fit, but like she's upset. I want to go home now. Yeah. I don't know. It seems very childish, but she is a child. But yeah, she's kind of devastated. It made her very sad that her brother was yelling at her. And he does a really good job of cheering her up here. Yes, which I was like, oh, wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) But yeah, so he like tells her he's sorry, give me another chance, yada, yada, yada. And what's the next house they end up going to? Allison's house. Which he doesn't know at first. When they first walk in, the door's open, and there's just this giant bowl of big candy. And nobody is paying them any attention. Yes. Uh, Until Allison walks down the stairs Uh wearing a very sexy dress. Again, Uh. Disney? (laughs) Danny will do her best to to embarrass her brother. Oh, Allison. (laughs) Yes. She will even say... Uh, I don't. I couldn't wear your dress because I don't have what do you call them, Max? Yabos. And it's like again, Disney. Is this a Disney movie? But also, like again, as a little kid, even me, I was sitting there and I was like, I wouldn't even do this to my brother. Uh huh. But Allison doesn't bat an eye. Uh huh. And thinks it's charming. I guess she ends up telling Danny. That, oh, you know, my mom used to run the museum about the three sisters, the Sanderson Mm -hmm. sisters, uh, and they had to close it down because a lot of scary things happened there. And this is when Max sees his chance. Make a believer out of me. Take me there tonight. You know, a night for a date. And Danny, as soon as Allison goes upstairs to change, Danny's like, no, we can't go there Like, my friends at school say it's really scary. I don't want to go. And uh, he's like, this is the girl of my dreams. And she goes, so take her to the movies like a normal person. (laughs) And I love his look. 
Danny. Like, <laughs> he does such a good job uh-huh. of treating her like she really is his little sister. Yeah. Like, the look of frustration and, like, I don't want to get mad at you right now, but I'm really mad at you right now is very real. He ends up convincing her. Do you remember why she ends up going? No. She makes him promise that next year they'll go as Peter Pan and Tinkerbell with tights. <laughs> I don't know why I don't remember that. That's funny. <laughs> but so they go to the house and it's all the original stuff, which I don't believe for a second. I wonder. Well, some of it is the original stuff that was there, like the candle. But it's also like there's a gift shop. They're right. selling lighters, which he takes one of the lighters. Right. No, I know. But I wonder if we really do have original stuff from Salem. Oh, I'm sure. Hmm. Absolutely positive. Yeah. That would be cool. Uh-huh. We should go there someday. Someday. But so Allison is enjoying this and Max is really enjoying it. But, of course, Danny is scared, and there's a really cute moment where Allison tries to, like, get Danny to laugh, and she kind of, like, hits her, but, like, taps her, you know? And Danny just gives her this look like, fuck you. Yeah, (laughs) I'm not playing your game. (laughs) Yes, Max finds the lighter and is like, well, let's light the sucker. And what happens? He does. They tell him not to, and he's like, oh, come on. What happens first? Oh, the cat jumps on him. Thackeray Binks. Yes. Thackeray jumps on him like he's probably done a thousand times. <laughs> and that scares the girls. Even uh-huh. Allison is like, I think it's like, time to go. And they're like, let's get out of here. And that's when he's, no, no, no. If a, you know, does he say if a virgin's supposed to light the candle or whatever? He admits that he, like, they're, they're not shying away from the fact that he's a virgin. Right. You would think that he wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, they didn't say, you know, there's a lot of these movies that are like, you know, the guy's trying to pretend that that he's not a virgin or the girl is or whatever. Uh, But this doesn't shy away from that. He lights it and then it turns black. And like, oh, my God, what's going on? And Danny's like, a virgin lit the candle. (laughs) But you also missed, this is the first time they say, it's just a bunch of hocus pocus. He says that, yeah. Oh, come on. It's just a bunch of hocus pocus. And I love his look when he lights the candle because both the girls are trying to get him not to. Yeah. And his look is just like, what the fuck are you doing? I got to look like a cool devil may care kind of, you know. He's a good actor. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why the fuck he didn't do more shit. Almost immediately, things like all the lights go out, everything gets really creepy, and then the door bursts open just as Allison and Danny move out of the way. And appear the Sanderson sisters. Yes, all three of them hide. Uh, uh, The three kids all hide. But yes, the Sanderson sisters show up. And the first thing Sarah does is find her lucky rat tail. Yeah. Immediately, when he's like, but who lit the black flame candle? Mary is like, I smell children. So they immediately start looking. And they find... Danny. Danny. Yeah. And she does a great job of pretending like, oh, I summoned you here, my fellow witches. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> she's dressed as a witch. Uh-huh. But they don't care because she's a child. Yeah. And they're like, ooh, she's so plump, which is not true. She's so skinny. And then Mary says, shishka baby, which doesn't make any sense. 
Because they wouldn't know what a shish kebab was. Wouldn't know what a shish kebab was. Now, a lot of people have a lot of problems with a lot of the things that they end up saying later. But most of the stuff you can actually explain away by the things that they've seen over the course of the night. But they just showed up. Well, the other thing is, is that Winifred will say it's all just a bunch of hocus pocus, like mocking Max. He says that before he lights the candle. They never heard that. So, like, maybe they were there <laughs> as spirits. It doesn't matter, is my point. It's a silly Disney family movie, and people take it way too seriously. With virgins and yabos. Yeah. <laughs> Just enjoy it, man. There's a musical number halfway through. But yeah, so Danny is just like. It's been great fun, but I've got to go now. And they're like, oh, stay for supper. And she's just like, I'm not hungry. Oh, but we are. Mm -hmm. Which is what causes Max to jump up into Mm -hmm. action. And he has to defend his sister. That's Max's job throughout this movie is protect his sister. You know, he has that brotherly love for her that transcends his annoyance with her which is in direct relation with the with the original brother and sister we were introduced to Uh the willful sister and the protective brother yes and so that also causes allison to jump into action and she goes mary and she goes well hello and that's when she hits her i love mary's response (laughs) and she knocks her out and then they hit winnie and sarah and both Allison and Danny are able to get away while Max frightens them with his ability to create fire from his hand yeah. and to create the 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 rain of death, uh-huh. which is just the sprinkler system. Yeah, because he holds the flame up to the, the sprinkler system. And when they get outside, the black cat follows them, and this is the first time we hear him say... Nice going, Max. Nice going, Max. Yeah, because he lands, he jumps on Max when Max jumps down and I think falls on his ass. <laughs> yes, yes. And it takes the it takes the Sanderson sisters way too long to figure mm-hmm. out that it's just water, but it's enough time to let them get away. And so, yeah, it's it's Winnie that's like it is but water, <laughs> and. They go outside, and suddenly they're not drenched anymore. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then there's the whole gag about how they think the street is a black river. Yes. And they push Sarah in. <laughs> Tis firm! <laughs> I love their walk that they do oh, together. Oh, God, that iconic walk. Yes. They get so good. They punch down, and they go back and forth uh-huh. together. Meanwhile, Binks takes them to the graveyard, and they're like, what the fuck? Why are we going here? Hollowed ground. The Sanderson sisters cannot enter. Any witch cannot they, step They can't foot. step foot, which is going to be, you know, the perfect loophole for them to approach later. But for now, it's the safest place they could be. I love that he stops to show them and tell them about... Winnie's ex-lover who she poisoned and sewed his lips together so that he could never speak in death. Billy Butcherson, who she liked, but he liked Sarah. I think he was with Winnie. I don't know and that then that's he the cheated case. on Winnie with Sarah. I think, I think that's what he says. It's just that Winnie is jealous. I think that's just what it is. And But anyway, yeah, he tells them the whole story about it. But it's like, 
at this point, why? Right. We don't know who Billy is. We don't know that Billy's going to become a character. Yeah. It's a weird thing to do. Meanwhile, back at the house, they see these firemen walk out. And it's funny because Winnie's like, who are they? And Sarah says, boys. Because Sarah <laughs> just loves boys. Uh-huh. Which, again, Disney? <laughs> And she eats a spider right after that. I'm sorry. I just love everything Sarah does. It makes me happy. There are a couple of claims that animals in people's mouths are real in this movie. They apparently at one point, Sarah Jessica Parker claimed that the spider she actually ate. I don't know if the spider was real or not, but that she actually ate it. Why? I don't know. There's another one that's a little bit more realistic that the moths coming out of his mouth. The moths are real moths that come out of Doug Jones' mouth. Wow. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. I mean, they do fly away when he opens his mouth. And it wasn't CG. Oh, my God. But so Winnie is like, all right, we need to find the book because the, I forgot to say this, Max grabbed the book when they left. Yeah. And she's like, hey, we need to find the book. We need to find, we need to get the recipe. We need to eat the kids all before sun comes up or we will be toast. And she's like, come, we fly. Broom hole! <laughs> Back with Max and Allison and Danny and Binks. Max is like, what's the big deal? It's these three chicks from uh, 300 years ago versus the 21st century. How bad could it be? And Binks says, bad. And so Max is like, fine, let's torch the book. But they can't. It's protected by magic. And this is when they first get approached by the three sisters from the air while they're down in the the graveyard. And when they first try to attack them, I love that Allison hits Mary as Mary goes after Max and she's just like, take a hike. Like she's already jealous Uh of people talking to Max. Brave little virgin who lit the candle. I'll be thy friend. I think Winnie gets attacked by Binks here, and she's just like, you will fail to save your friends as you failed to save your sister. And she brings Billy back to life. She's under the impression that Billy will do what she tells him to do, which also never makes sense. You're right. It doesn't. And at first, it kind of seems like he is doing that. Yes. And Sarah's like, hi, Billy. And Hello, Billy. (laughs) He almost falls off her broom. (laughs) But I love when he's chasing after them, which again, doesn't make any sense when you find out later that he's a perfectly good guy. Uh He chases after them. So Max gets the idea to hit him with a branch. And I love his look of, "Mm -mm." (laughs) (laughs) knocks his head right off. And then his body has to go looking for his head. Well done. It's very cute. I love this movie. I could talk about this movie for hours. I also love when he first gets up out of the grave. He turns to look. He sees his grave and he's just like, "Mm." Mm. (laughs) like, I'm still dead, damn it. (laughs) Or that he even died. (laughs) As far as we know, he was alive and then he's here, you know? (laughs) I also love... Max's look when his head pops off, he's like, yeah, but then he sees that it can still walk and he looks like, oh, God. (laughs) So Winnie is very, very mad. Damn, damn, double damn, as she says. 
and they land outside the gates. And I love Sarah. She's just swinging in the background yeah. on the gates. So Winnie is really, really mad. And Mary says, I think we need to make a calming circle. And Bette Midler's response is so good. I am calm. <laughs> but they still do the calming circle. It's not a thing that comes back either. No. I'm a little it's bummed not. by that. It's a fun moment. Yes, they do this this calming circle and then they're like, mother at the end. Think soothing thoughts. Rabbit bat. Black death. Mummy scorpion pie. Mother. And this is when they're approached by a bus. And they're like, what is this contraption? And the guy says, this will take you to your most wanted desires. And they're like, well, we desire children. And what does he say? Hey, that may take me a couple of tries, but I don't think that'd be a problem. I'm falling up. No idea what that meant when I was a kid. Took me so long. Uh huh. I don't even remember when I figured it out, what he was saying. Just... I remember for years not getting that joke. Just like, why would he take them to children? Why would it take him several times? Like, I just didn't <laughs> get it. Even, like, into my high school years, I like, it just didn't click that he meant sexually. Uh -huh. Because, again, sorry, I thought this was a Disney movie. <laughs> anyway, but so they're driving, and what do they run over? Thackeray Binks. To which Sarah goes, speed bump! <laughs> Danny is devastated. Dev Danny starts to cry immediately. And then he just <gasps> comes back to life. I hate it when that happens. Uh -huh. He's immortal. He can't die. That's his punishment. To live forever with the guilt of not being able to save his sister. Yes. Back to the sisters on the bus. They're in, like, a neighborhood, I guess, which doesn't make any sense because they're on a bus. But so they're in a neighborhood, and Mary says, I smell children. And Winifred's like, marvelous. And so they go to get off the bus, and of course, the bus driver wants to get Sarah's number. And Sarah says, thou wouldst hate me in the morning. And he goes, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> and Winnie goes, oh, believe me, thou wouldst. <laughs> I don't know what that joke is supposed to mean. Probably because the sisters annoy each other. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Also, in the morning, she turned to stone. That's what I'm wondering. Like, <laughs> is it because they know they're going to turn to dust? Is it because they're going to turn ugly? Is it because the, he'd find out she's a witch? Is it because she, te she actually wants to murder him? Like, I don't know. Don't know. So they get off. And, of course, the reason she smells children is because kids are out trick-or-treating. But they can't tell that they're kids because every single one has a mask on. Uh -huh. Which, that happens every year. Uh, but one little girl runs up to them and she's dressed as an angel. And she goes, bless you. And they all scream. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. And then, of course, Winnie slaps both of them. And she's like, we are witches. We are evil. What would mother say if she could see us now? Mother. <laughs> they do that. And then, what do they see? Could it be... Satan? Satan? Master! <laughs> Which I've always loved the joke here that hardly anyone realizes. That's what the devil must look yeah, like. Exactly, yes. I, from the very first time I saw this movie, that was what I was thinking. <laughs> like, wouldn't they know what the devil looks like? <laughs> 
apparently the devil looks like Gary Marshall in a red jumpsuit and horns with a pitchfork. Yes. Gary Marshall married to Penny Marshall in this movie, but they're actually brother and sister. So that's a little weird. A little weird. I love that when they're going inside, Winnie, without knowing what they are, because at one point she says, like, are they hobgoblins or what are they? She, like, scares away little kids as if she knows they're little kids, but she doesn't know that yet. They're just small and get out of here. I don't yes. think it's the kids thing. But I did always hate how long it took them to figure out he wasn't the devil. I'm fine with the joke that that's what the devil looks like, uh-huh. but I wish that you know they would have picked it up sooner. Penny Marshall has all these curlers in her hair, and so they think that she's Medusa. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Sisters, Satan has married Medusa. See the snakes in her hair? Meanwhile, with the kids, they think they see a cop, which this would be illegal to do. Oh, totally illegal, yeah. (laughs) He's riding around on what looks like a cop motorcycle, wearing a cop's outfit with a badge and everything. And they run up to him and they're just like, oh my God, we lit the black flame candle and the witches are back. And he's like, what the hell? Get back up, get on the sidewalk and tell me what's going on. And Thora Birch takes the handle here and she's just like, my brother's a virgin and he lit the black flame candle and now the Sanderson sisters are back. Because again, we need to keep making this virgin joke. Uh It's very important. And so he pulls Max aside and he's like, is it true? (laughs) You're a virgin? Yeah, I'll get it tattooed on my forehead, all right? Are you a virgin? Yeah. Really? Look, I'll get it tattooed on my forehead, okay? It's like, how old is he supposed to be? 15? Like, I always... These uh-huh. jokes always seemed odd to me. Like, when you see a teen have sex for the first time in a movie or a TV show, no one treats it like it's like, I can't believe you didn't already have it, except for, you know, boys. But that's no. a boy thing. Well, yeah, no, it's also a very boy thing to, like, ridicule somebody for as soon as you know what a virgin is, you should no longer be one. Is like this thing in boy culture, especially around this time and earlier. I just, I, I always thought it was just like, he's so like, Uh Jesus Christ, can we wait till we're at least an adult, please? But no, no, boys just have to suck. Yep. But yeah, and then we find out that, of course, he's not a real cop, and he tells them to get lost. They don't find that out. We find that out because the camera lingers on him, and then his girlfriend comes out of the bar or whatever where they were. Yes. Some kids thought I was actually a cop. So, back with the Sanderson sisters in the devil's home... It's pretty funny because at one point, who they think is Medusa, she's like, aren't you broads a little old to be trick-or-treating? And Winnie goes, we'll be younger in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) And meanwhile, three girls that are dressed up as the Sanderson sisters Uh for Halloween. Like exactly dressed up because they're a real thing in their culture. Yes. They steal their brooms Uh and they fly away. Which, I mean, that means that, like, people have magic now, but sure. Yeah, (laughs) these three kids have brooms and they're flying. (laughs) And so Winnie asks the devil. Now, remember that the book that she has... Came from the devil. Came from the devil. So she goes, what about the book? And the devil goes, we'll get to the book later. And I think that's when Winnie first is like, what? Why don't you want to talk about the book? Mm -hmm. But Sarah, in love with her master, wants to dance with Uh him. And he's like, oh, yeah. 
I love when Winnie goes into the kitchen and she thinks it's a torture chamber. Uh I like that joke. I love that Mary loves that commercial, which was Uh very popular at the time. It was. It was a carpet cleaning commercial, I want to say. I don't remember what the commercial was for. I certainly remember it. Of the little kid running havoc around. With the song playing. Dun, 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 dun. I can't do it. But I just, her look and her scream of joy is just so real. Well, the concept of TV that she's seeing for the first time. Yeah. uh Yes. But when the wife comes downstairs and sees Sarah dancing with her husband. (laughs) All right, everybody out. (laughs) Party's over. And they're like, oh, yeah. And they like circle around her. And she's like, sick him to her dog. And uh-huh. I guess they think it's probably a lord of hell. A demon dog, yeah, of I, some sort. Because he guess. has he also has little horns and some wings or a cape or something. Yes, but so uh they end up running outside. The first kid they see, they grab him and they they tear off his mask. Uh-huh. And he's like, hey, what are you doing, you weirdos? And I love Sarah's response, weirdos. Like she doesn't know what the <laughs> word means, but she's like, I'm pretty sure I was insulted. <laughs> And that's when Winnie says, All Hallows' Eve has become a night of frolic. Oh. Where children wear costumes and run amok. Amok, 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 amok. I've said that line so many times that Chris had to buy me a shirt. Yeah, I bought her a I bought her a shirt, a Hocus Pocus shirt that says amok, amok, amok on it. And she just happened to be wearing it to a hair appointment. And the hairdresser was like, they just the concept of Hocus Pocus came up. Yes. It's like, oh, I love that movie. And she says, amok, amok, amok. And Kelsey's like, I'm wearing that shirt right now. Literally. It was, <laughs> it was crazy. And she had not seen me with the shirt on because, ladies, you know, I was brought in by her assistant. The assistant put the thing over me so that she didn't get to see the shirt first. You get it. You uh-huh. understand. <laughs> All right. So. The kids are like, well, if the cops won't help, I guess we better go see our parents. So they go to town hall. And when they enter, what song is being sung? Witchcraft. Yes. And Chris doesn't like the band. He doesn't like the singer. They're bad. (laughs) I think intentionally so. They're all like lounge versions of these songs. It's really bad. (laughs) They find their dad, and he's like, it's Dadcula. (laughs) And they find their mom, and Thora Birch is like, Mom, what are you supposed to be? And she goes, Madonna? Obviously. Obviously. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) I love the mom's look. It's so good. When the sisters come in, now how the sisters found them, they will do this another time as well in the film. They don't explain how they find them. Probably the book. No, Max has the book. Yeah, and and they're there. But they're there. Right, but they only know where the book is when he opens it. Maybe they just know where the book is extra hard when it's open. I don't know. (laughs) No, I think the implication is supposed to be that Mary can smell them, but they don't do a good enough. But there's kids everywhere. Right. Yeah. uh They don't do a good enough job. Doesn't matter. (laughs) But so. They come inside and immediately the sisters are enjoying the music. And when he's like, go out and find them. <laughs> and that's when, when they're looking, all of a sudden the song will change to I Put a Spell on You. And that's when Max will run up and interrupt the song. 
and try to tell everyone the Sanderson sisters are back. There they are. What are you going to do about it? Spotlight on them. And Winifred says, thank you for the lovely introduction, Max. Yes. And she goes up on stage and starts giving a little speech, which turns into a song with her sisters doing the backup singing. It's I put a spell on you, but it's with her own little twist on it. The lyrics aren't the actual lyrics. Yes. And it's so good. It is. It's silly. It's stupid. But it's really good. You got Bette Midler in a family-friendly horror movie. She's gonna sing. Thank you, Max, for that marvelous introduction. (laughs) I put a spell on you. And now you're mine. (laughs) You can't stop the things I do. I ain't lying. Been 300 years, right down to the day. Now the witch is back, and there's hell to pay. I on you. Good joke. Happy Halloween. Thanks a lot. No, man, I'm serious. You got to have me. I'm not kidding. She really just puts herself into this song. Like, I love when she's like, now the witch is back. Yeah, like the bitch is back, but the witch is back. And there's hell to pay. I just love her look and the way that she does the dance. And um, I'm pretty sure she shaved her eyebrows for this role. (laughs) Like, come on. Because of all the witches working. I'm the worst. So she's put a spell on them that they will dance until they die. Yeah. But they don't realize it. Mm -hmm. They're all just having fun. And the kids get away. Yes. And that's when Allison says, I have an idea. Because they're hiding and she ends up like making noise with an oven. She's like, oh, wait a minute. I have an idea. And so what their plan is, is to lure the sisters to the school to, I guess, the pottery room where they have a giant kiln. An enormous kiln. And they have uh, French tape playing, like, <laughs> teaching you French. Bienvenue. <laughs> but also, like... I would like a book. Yeah, yeah. Where is the book? And so she's... It's going to be a callback later when Winifred will ask them for the book and she'll say it in French. It's just a fun little moment. But anyway... They lock them in this kiln and then turn it on. It's like, Jesus. And then all this green smoke is coming out of the place. And they're like, yes, we won. Huzzah. What they don't understand is that the witches cannot be killed until the end of the night. Yes. There's nothing you can do to them. So they're going to go back to take Danny home, I guess, to Max's house while this smoke is all dissipating into the atmosphere. And they're going to hang out there. What happens at the house? Well, 
first of all, they convince Binks to stay with them. You're yeah. a denizen now, buddy. And you're going to be with us for generations and generations. And I'm like, what if he doesn't want to? Exactly. But apparently he's cool with it. Exactly. He also acts like a cat now uh-huh. where he like wants to be cuddled and petted. And I'm like, that is a teenage boy who's been alive for 300 years. Yeah. I don't think that's exactly what he would want. But what the fuck do I know? They realize that it's three o'clock in the morning But they're like, I guess they just must be having a good time talking about their parents. Yeah. Without realizing that even adults get exhausted by three o'clock in the fucking morning. Especially when you have kids. Mm -hmm. Jesus. Meanwhile, we see the bullies who are hanging out. It's again three o'clock in the morning and... Ernie, so Jay wants to go out and do something, and Ernie's like, I don't want to do any of that. I don't uh, feel good. Ice, Kelsey. That's right. How many times I got to tell you? My name ain't Ernie no more. It's Ice. Ice. And Jay's like, well, you've been eating too much candy, you boinker. Or oinker, I think, I think is what oinker. the words say but on the TV, but I always heard boinker. I never understood it. That means something completely different. <laughs> This is when Winnie and Sarah and Mary are very mad and they're walking by and they say, man, why is it always the ugly chicks who stay out late? And I love Winnie's response. Chicks? Not ugly. Uh She's not going to accept that they called her ugly. She's just mad that they called her a chick. Hold on, Kelsey, you didn't explain. All the smoke came back down the smokestack and they came back to life. And so they decide to take those two boys hostage, which you're perfectly fine with because they're bullies. Uh Uh-huh. So they take them and they put them in these cages that they have in their house. (laughs) And Winnie is desperately trying to remember the instructions. But they don't have the book. So like that's I love that Sarah is hanging from Ice's cage and spinning it around like wee Oh yeah, I love her look of ah, she's just so happy. But also, Sarah is the one who says a dead man's toes. (laughs) She got it right. But they all tell her to shut the fuck up. Uh And Winnie is trying to remember, and she's just like, "I love their little song." Remember, Winnie. Remember, remember, Uh Winnie. Remember. All sorts of these little sing-songy moments throughout the movie. Yeah, and she goes, "Sarah, you were in the background dancing idiotically." And so, again, she's trying to figure out what it is. At one point, Winnie's like, a dead man's chungs? And the guys are like, chungs! Because they think it's like their tongue, I think. Uh, I I guess that's probably what they're thinking of. And I love Mary's response of, chungs aren't a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) But Winnie is devastated because she realizes she can't remember. She needs the book. And you know what? Damn it, she misses that book. Book, make thyself known. Take me to the window. I want to see sunrise for the last time or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't happen yet. Yeah. Because back at their house, Max and Allison, who are still awake. They they, they fell asleep for a little bit with her lying on his chest or whatever. Oh, that's right. Now it's five o'clock in the morning Uh and Allison's like, oh, shit, my parents are going to kill me. But Max is like, don't you feel bad about Binks? And she's like, well, what if in the book there's something that'll help us fix him? Now, earlier in the film, 
Binks had told them, don't open the book. Yeah. Nothing good can come from it. I don't think he understood that this was going to happen, though. Yeah. They open the book, and what happens? Well, like a light comes from it, and then Binks jumps on it and closes. I told you not to open the book. Not until after... Winnie, in her misery, asks Mary to take her to the window. I wish to say goodbye. <laughs> and I love I love Mary's just, yeah, bye-bye, bye-bye-bye. <laughs> and she looks outside. And she, and she sees, sees the light. that light. Mm-hmm. And she goes, we fly. And I love Mary's response of, we fly. We fly on what? So they go to the supply closet and they find a broom, which, of course, Winifred gets. Yes. And then there's a mop, which Sarah gets, and then there's a vacuum, which Mary gets. Yes, yes, and it's just so good. And I'll never forget this. Do you remember this, Chris, when we were in a bar in Halloween yes. time, yes. and these three chicks showed up? Oh, they were like, in perfect Sanderson sister costumes with a vacuum cleaner in tow and everything. Yes, it was amazing. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't perfect because you told me, don't go over there. I always tell you that. (laughs) Remember we were at a party and you're like, I think that guy's dressed like Urkel. And I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) Chris wants to ruin my fun at every turn. I really do. (laughs) I went up to them anyway. You want to tell the story? You can tell the story. No, no. I but I didn't I didn't listen to him everyone. I went up there cuz I was like fuck that. <laughs> I told them I love their costume and they appreciated it a lot. Yeah. My my issue is what next? What then? Cool, thanks. And now we're just standing here awkwardly? No, you go up and you just say, "Girls, you get this." You go up to somebody and you're just like, "Oh my god, I love your bag." And and we accept that and we appreciate that about each other. And then we walk away and it's no big deal. No. Nope. Girls do that. Dudes admire other dudes from afar. It's weird. It's weird that you don't get up and give compliments. Girls no, love it when they get compliments from other girls. Because it, I really desperately hope it's not like that anymore. But people my age, guys my age, were raised, if you think anything about a guy is good to look at, you're gay. And that's a bad thing. That's how we are raised. And it's the stupidest fucking thing, but it's also given me this stigma about, like, other guys don't want you to compliment them. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying exactly the opposite of that. I dated a guy once, and from my perspective, I was like, that's really fucking shitty. I'm one of those people that I do not typically give compliments back. Why? Because... I feel it makes it sound like I'm not giving you a real compliment. It's not genuine, yeah. Mm-hmm. If somebody gives me a compliment, I say thank you. I will try to find a time later to give them a compliment as well, but I don't typically say it in the moment because it feels like bullshit. Yeah. I dated a guy once who would get mad every time he gave me a compliment and he didn't receive one back. Sounds like a dickhead. Yeah. And he was. <laughs> and he was. Anyway, I love when they're flying here. I love the shot of their shadows on the water. I don't know Mm -hmm. why, but that shot just kind of really resonated with me, and I've Mm -hmm. always remembered it. It's Allison that realizes that something's not right, and then Binks wakes up, and 
closes the book and he's like, what the fuck? I told you not to open this shit. And they're like, so what? They're dead. After having read that salt will protect them, they go downstairs to get salt. While they are down there, the three sisters have shown up and they've taken Danny. When they run upstairs, they find the sisters and they find that they've taken Danny. I've always hated how much salt Allison uses She here. needs a complete circle. You need one circle. But a complete circle. You know how salt comes out in grains? You're a grain. <laughs> Your face is a grain. <laughs> but this is when Winnie will make the fatal mistake of saying dawn approaches. Yeah. Which lets Allison in on the secret of we only have until dawn. Yeah. But they get away with Danny. Yes, they fly away. And we get to finally hear Sarah's song. Oh. Use thy voice, Sarah. Fill the sky. Bring the little brats to die. Love the song. God, this moment's great where she's singing her Pied Piper of Hamelin song. Come, little children, I'll take thee away into a land of enchantment. She's really good. Yes, and she's so hot. I so wanted to be her. Mm-hmm. I watched her do her little dance on her broomstick, and I was like, I want to be that. Now, how Allison figures out that they'll turn to dust when the sun comes up, that's not explained. I think it's just metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking. Metaphorically speaking. So Sarah comes home. Well done, Sister Sarah. And they're going to try to eat the soul or drink the soul of Danny. And Danny is yelling very mean things, which will end up being the savior of it all because it's because she calls them ugly that Winnie decides that it's gotta be her that she drinks the soul of. Uh If it hadn't been that, then she would have been perfectly fine. But because she calls her ugly here, Winnie decides that it's gotta be Danny that she drinks the soul of, which... Later, Sarah's like, but Winnie, all these other kids are coming. We can make more potion. Let's just take one of these people. And Winnie's like, no, it's got to be the one who called me ugly. But how do they save her? It's really dumb. He says he knows something that they don't know. Well, Max and Allison show up. Yes, they show show up. up. Well, Max just shows up. Max just Max. Yeah. Max says, I'm aware of something that you're not aware of. And he's like, daylight savings time. And all of a sudden, the sun comes up. And they freak out again, just like with the water. And he grabs Danny and is like, we got to go. We got to go. And he's like, why? We've beaten them. And he points out, it's just the car. The headlights that they turned on, they blocked one of the headlights with the gate outside or something like that. So it 
only one was shining in through the window and it looked like the sun was coming in. And that's what Danny realizes. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, we got to go. And so they get in the car and they try to drive away, but they got to drive through all these kids that are mindlessly zombie walking down this road towards the house. Mm -hmm. And that means they're going really slow. And so by the time the Sanderson sisters realize, wait a minute, we're fine. It wasn't the sun. What the fuck? And they can chase after them. The car hasn't gotten very far at this point. Right. Now, Winifred makes the joke of pull over. Let me see your driver. Another permit. thing she'd have no idea what it was. But I mean, she's probably seen something. You don't at some need point. to rationalize it. It's okay. It's silly. It's stupid. This is a silly, stupid movie, and that's why we love it. So you don't need to rationalize it. Well, they get to the graveyard again where Billy still is. Winnie is trying to grab them and she's excited because she thinks Billy is going to work for her. But Billy ends up opening up his own mouth. He finally. takes a pocket knife from Max, Max and uses it to cut open his mouth. And this is when the moths come out. <laughs> yes. What does he say to her? I forget all the words he calls her, but he, he calls her a witch, a wench, a trollop. Do it now! Wench. <gasps> trollop. You black tooth mop ride firefly from hell! Ah! I've waited centuries to say that. And he goes, Go to hell. And she says, I've been there, thank you. I found it quite lovely. <laughs> See, this is the part where you find out that Billy's a good guy, but nothing he's done up to this point has made you think that he's a good guy. And then on top of that, why would Winnie think you would be on her side? Magic lady. She brought him back. He's probably supposed to be under her spell. Well, so they put Danny into his grave. And then they surround it with some salt that they have left. Salt, yes. But I do love Winnie's, Winnie's warning. Once she realizes that Billy is not on her side, as she's going up, she goes, hold on to your head. It's, a, it's just a cool line. And eventually, she will kick off Billy's head, uh -huh. which will cause Danny to get out of no, the circle of salt. It's Allison, isn't it? No, I don't remember. Yeah, you're Danny right. Danny right. leaves yeah. the That's circle of salt. That's how they get Danny, and then Max has to protect her. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. Allison runs out of salt, and that's why she can't protect herself. Yes, they end up, so they're trying to stop them. So Winnie has Danny, and as Mary is flying, they grab onto her cord of her vacuum, uh -huh. which that would kill your hands, by the way. Eh, she's probably not moving very fast. <laughs> and so Sarah goes to help her. And she's pulling, and they're doing a game of tug-of-war. Uh -huh. And, of course, Allison says, let go, and then they go flying off. So it's now it's just Winifred. She has the potion in a bottle and Danny, but Binks risks his life, runs up a tree, jumps on the broom, swats the potion out of her hand. She tosses him down, and he hits his head and gets knocked out on his Sister's grave. She's <laughs> pretty fucked up if you think about it. But it's also a little poetic. We, we find out a little bit later. Um, so Max has the potion now. And in a sort of like stalemate, he drinks the potion himself. 
to be like, well, now you have to take me and having Danny will do you no good. So she goes down and she grabs him and pulls him up and starts sucking away his life. But not fast enough. As he's struggling and she's got him, that's when... Something happens that she falls. Yeah. I think maybe through the struggle with him. Right. But so she falls. She's still holding on to him. She holds him up and she's like, I'm going to fucking do this, kid. And she's trying she's to like suck his soul. sucking his soul, yeah. And the sun is coming up. And she's now on the ground. So yeah. she's got two things against her. And I love her look. She goes between the ground, to the sun, to him. To the ground, to the sun, to him. And I just love her look of like, fuck me, and her, fuck. her body is turning to stone from the feet upwards. I did never really like that the stone sculpture didn't really look like her. It got like the aspect of her, but it didn't really actually look like her. But she, yeah, she turns completely to stone as she's holding Max. And and as she turns to stone, she goes, book. Yeah. <laughs> which she does several times. And that's when both Sarah and Mary, who are still up in the air. I love Sarah. She puts her hands out. Winnie, and goodbye. Just turns into dust. Yes. And uh, I forget what Mary says. I think Mary says goodbye, world. Or I forget what she says. Uh-oh. But she also explodes. And that's when Danny realizes that Binks is dead. Binks is, they're like, oh, great. The witches are dead. But so is Binks. Now that the witches are dead, the spell is worn off. He's not immortal anymore. And he hit his head hard enough to kill him. And she's like, oh, damn it. Binks is dead. Boo hoo hoo. And then we hear Max Goof say in a British <laughs> accent, don't be sad, Danny. <laughs> Or whatever it is he says. Danny, come on. Please don't be sad for me. You freed me. Thank you. Yeah. He's fi- his only wish was to die and be with his sister. Thackeray Binks. Where are you? For some reason, the sister's spirit is here now looking for him. <laughs> is she there every night? Like, is this her curse to to look for her brother every night for 300 years till finally he shows up and then they walk off as spirits? And we get another virgin joke. Thackeray Binks, where has thee been? <laughs> I had to wait 300 years for a virgin to light a black candle. <laughs> and then we're still not done, guys, because then we've got to see the parents. We've got to make sure that the parents are okay. Yeah, they've just been dancing the whole night, and they had a blast. <laughs> Man, I thought L.A. was a party town. <laughs> and we're still not done, because then we need to see the two bullies, and it's a really great... Oh, we forgot the moment when he steals his shoes back. Oh, yeah, he got his shoes back, because <laughs> he saw them uh, being held up in those ca- in those cages. But everyone forgot them in those cages. Yeah, and at the end of the movie, it's them singing, Row, 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 row your boat, boat, gently down the stream. <laughs> This movie is so good. I could talk for hours about how much I love this movie. It is very, very good. Uh, A couple of things. The Friends Fountain is in this movie. (laughs) The story was thought of by David Kirshner. He made it up for his daughter or something like that when they saw this black cat. And he just made up a story of he was a real boy until he was turned into a cat by witches or whatever. And that's where the story started back in the 80s. 
And Mick Garris first wrote his script in 1984. And it was bought by Disney. And it was called Disney's Halloween House. And it was actually a much darker script. But you'll notice it didn't actually get produced ultimately until nine years later. Because there was just delay after delay. Nobody was really that interested in it. You know, they weren't putting a lot of effort into it until they signed Bette Midler in 1992. And everything got fast-tracked at that point. Well, of course. Yeah. They got fucking Bette Midler. Of course. Of course. And like I said earlier, there is a sequel in the works. And certain participants from the original have expressed an interest. But they haven't been contacted, last we've heard. I want... It's going All to, six of them. It's just going to be a cameo from the three sisters. I guarantee it. I want all six of them. Or yeah. else I don't want the movie. We're going to have three new sisters. You know how this works. You know how this works. Why would I want three new sisters? When all three of them are still alive and perfectly fine. I understand that. You understand that. Kids today have no idea who Bette Midler is. <laughs> who Bette Midler was when I was five years old. Right. And they probably also don't know what Hocus Pocus is. Hocus Pocus got a huge cult following after it came out. And it was on TV all the time around Halloween. That's why people love this movie. Kids today probably vaguely know it is a meme. You know what I mean? That's like, really sad. I know. But people our age are fucking obsessed with this movie. But it is this 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 window of time where there are people that are older than us that are too old to get it. And then there are people that are younger than us who didn't grow up with it and they think it's probably stupid. Or they know the Sanderson sisters because it's a hip thing to know something from the 90s, you know. Anyway, anything else to say about Hocus Pocus? Yes, I know you can talk forever about this movie. But no. we've already been talking for quite a long time. No, I'm fine. <laughs> What do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? Uh, better be a 95. <laughs> oh, God, Kelsey, I am so sorry. It has a 37. Are you kidding? Harmlessly hokey, yet never much more than mediocre, Hocus Pocus is a muddled, family-friendly effort that fails to live up to the talents of its impressive cast. At the time, Siskel... Ebert, the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly all pretty much dismissed it. Ebert gave it one star in his review in the Chicago Sun-Times. People would say like, oh, the song was fun, but otherwise it was, it was, uh, you know, the plot didn't know what it was doing. And it's like, here's the thing. They were evaluating it by the standards of every other movie that they watch. And you just can't do that with a movie like this. <laughs> I mean, you've seen me rate movies higher because I had fun with how stupid it was. They do not get that. And I think that's the problem. This might sound a little bit hypocritical of me, but I wouldn't call us professionals in any sense of the word. We just share our personal opinions with you. It's like we're having a Kelsey and I are having a conversation with each other about our personal opinions, and we're including you guys in that. So, but, but sometimes what makes it an expert in your ideas. Sometimes when they do it for a living, they're professionals and they know way more about what they're talking about than we do. Anyway, sometimes professional reviewers don't have a real grip on what people might actually enjoy, regardless of the quality. You hear what I'm saying? I think there's quality here. If it makes you feel any better, it has a 71 audience score. Doesn't make me feel any fucking better. It had a B-plus cinema score. Good. No Metacritic for some strange reason. But 
whatever. This is absolutely going to show up on our list of biggest discrepancies. Yes. Like, holy shit. I'm not even going to ask. You think it's underrated by a whole hell of a lot. What would you give it? Sticking by it, I'm giving it a 95. Jesus Christ. That is I, way too high. I could watch this movie. We do watch it every single year. I could watch it once a week and I would not get sick of it. I could not. I love this movie. I I do too. I am in love with Max. I want to be Sarah Jessica Parker. I love Bette Midler's performance. Kathy and Jimmy cracks me up. Uh, Thora Birch reminds me of my childhood. Like, it's... It has a special place in your heart. Love this movie. As it does mine. Uh, but I'm going to give it an 85. Which is still pretty damn high. And way far away from the Rotten Tomato score of 30 fucking 7. That means that only 37% of professional critics liked it more than they disliked it. Like, that is a, not a high standard, and yet it still couldn't meet that. Honestly, guys, the things that I was bringing up that could be problems, and are problems when it comes to the yeah, plot. Yeah, but that's not why we're watching the movie, so it shouldn't be what you evaluated on. Exactly. And I mean, it's a kid's movie. It's not, it's, the plot is never going to be foolproof. It's just not going to be. Right. So. And it's not, it's not like. You can say that every movie that's fun and silly doesn't have to be good. Like, for instance, I'm going to bring this up and some of you people are going to be really upset, but I didn't grow up with it, which is why I think I have a unique perspective from you guys. Halloween Town <laughs> is a fun movie. I it is can a admit fun movie. that Halloween Town is a shitty movie, it's but a, it's a lot of fun to watch. It's a fun movie and I enjoy watching it. <laughs> I'll be willing to watch it every single year. I don't love it nearly as much as I love Hocus Pocus. I don't think it's as good as Hocus Pocus. It is, is nowhere even near nearly. as good. But it's that's my point. It's a made-for-TV movie. But, but this is my point. It's not just because we're giving it a pass. It really is genuinely endearing. And more so than just it being endearing, there's stuff in it that we absolutely love. I mean, it's it makes me laugh every time I watch it. Yeah. The character work... I know I said this in the last episode, too. But the character work is great. And for completely different reasons. They, the three sisters, like I said, they just throw themselves into the parts. Yes. They're incredible. And I, I worry that in the sequel, we're just going to get new actresses doing pale imitations. Even if, if they're not playing the same characters. If you're right, but I really just hope that it's going to be the original six. I don't know why, but I have this sinking suspicion that that Winifred's going to be played by Viola Davis. I don't know why, but I just have this sinking suspicion. If they don't have <laughs> a, a musical moment, which Viola Davis couldn't do, as far How as do I you know. know. Yeah. Why, why couldn't she? Viola Davis is incredibly talented, Kelsey. Never seen her sing. They just put her in fucking everything. Anyway, I want my original six. Your original six. Your original six. If Omri Katz isn't in it. Omri Katz. I'll be so mad. It's gotta come back. Thora Birch, you're still acting. Allison, what the fuck are you doing? Come on. But the movie's not gonna be about them. 
It could be about their kids. Right, they're going to have, this is their my point. Their kids could have to deal with the Sanderson sisters. Yes, so it's just going to be a cameo. It's not going to be about them like you want it to be. There's not going to be a Binks. Like, at the very, at the very most, I think we're going to get the Sanderson sisters in a very brief cameo. Even probably more brief is the actors who played the original three kids in bit parts that aren't related to those actual characters. They're going to be playing different roles, like a bus driver or something like that. Could take me a couple tries. Yes, exactly. But I, I, you know, that's the most I think we can possibly hope for. And that's me trying to like set my expectations. Here. I think we should start a petition. Oh, sure. I think we should tell Disney our thoughts. Yeah, Disney's going to listen. I mean, think about it. They made the live action Mulan to be more respectful of Chinese culture and it's worse. Like, they don't have the best track record. People will want them to do something, they will do it, and they will fuck it up. That's their track record. (laughs) Anyway, that is Hocus Pocus from 1993. Before we move into our next movie, Kelsey. I forgot to say. Yes. There was a while ago, I said in 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 a episode that she says, it's all just a bunch of Hocus Pocus. You did. And I could not find that clip anywhere on the goddamn internet. It doesn't exist on the internet. You have to get the full movie. And it made me go insane because I was like, I have seen that movie more times than I can count. No, she says that. I know she does. And it and we took it out of the episode because I couldn't find it, so we couldn't verify that it happened. And now I've seen it and I am right. Yep, you were right. It's just a bunch of hocus pocus. But the audience never heard that moment. I don't care. You did hear us talk about our next movie incorrectly, and we'll we'll correct that for the record a little bit later. Before we get to our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. We all go a little mad sometimes. Name the movie. Scream. That he says that. Is that a <laughs> joke? Are you making a joke? He literally says it. I know it's psycho, but he says it in Scream. Yes, that's what I'm saying. You're making a joke. Okay. I was like, yeah, he does say it. In I'm that movie, right. But that's God not damn what it's it. From. <laughs> All right, Kelsey. John Hawthorne, the primary witch trials judge, was also known as the what judge? The blank judge. Is this from a movie? It's about the Salem Witch Trials. You're asking me about real life history just because I taught it like five years ago? (laughs) Because it's about Salem. We're like both of this. Paranorman takes place in Salem, too, doesn't it? No, but it's a very similar. Yeah. That's why I picked it. Yeah. Uh, Say the question again now that I know that you're talking about something in real life. John Hawthorne, the primary witch trials judge, was also known as the what judge? The good judge? Remember when I told you to remember something earlier on in this episode? The hanged judge? No. Man? Close. The what judge? Has to fit the blank judge. What did he do? The hanging judge. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> He was known as the hanging judge for sentencing accused witches to death. Which is which weird. Mainly happened via hanging, not by burning, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hmm. That is a misconception. Because, you know, witches don't burn. You know, that whole test. Witches sink or whatever, you know, whatever. whatever. Where did that start then? Oh, my God. Every time I've taught the crucible, I've been teaching them wrong. Well, no, it did happen. But primarily they were hangings. That leads us into our next movie. Speaking of witch trial judges, Paranorman from 2012 Directed by Chris Butler and Sam Fell and written by Chris Butler, Chris Butler worked on storyboards on both The Corpse Bride and Coraline. He also wrote Kubo and the Two Strings, which I thought was pretty damn good, actually. I really enjoyed I that. it was very good. It's just not super entertaining. He also wrote and directed Missing Link, which I feel like got surprisingly good reviews, but nobody saw. I didn't see it. Right, exactly. And I don't think anybody knew, but like I think it was a it was nominated for a couple of Oscars or at least like best song or something like that. Like but nobody saw this fucking movie. Zendaya is Michi. That's <laughs> not that one. <laughs> but like Chris Butler knows what he's doing and if you doubt that, watch this fucking movie. This is incredible stop motion in this movie. We'll talk about it. But it is also part CG, right? They did both. Just for certain effects, yeah. But, like, it's all stop-motion animated. Even the ghost characters are all stop-motion animated. And But, yeah, like, they couldn't do lightning stop-motion. This didn't take them nearly as long as Nightmare did. So they had a bunch of rigs. Nightmare had a rig. I know we haven't talked about it on the show, but Nightmare Before Christmas and a lot of stop-motion movies had a rig where you could program in a camera movement and then like at a particular speed and at the angle and the the sweeping motion that you want and then you program that in and then you can have it move forward the distance it needs to move forward to replicate that frame by frame and then you're just moving all the characters and it does the camera motion perfectly so so that's how we get really beautiful sweeping camera movements in movies like this but this was filmed in 3D so what this rig did is it took this like Canon camera or whatever it was and it would take one photo and then it would move to the position it would need to do to film the other angle and take that photo and then move back. And so it would do twice as much photography throughout the whole entire thing, which is really fucking cool. But anyway, we'll talk about all that in a minute. Starring Cody Smith McPhee, uh, who we know from let me in the remake of let the right one in. Uh, He's Owen, the little boy. I don't remember the boy from the American one. He was also the boy from The Road. The, the I kid never saw in The them. Road. And he's Nightcrawler in the newer X-Men movies. The ones that take place in the 80s or whatever. I don't remember Nightcrawler. He wears the thriller jacket. That sounds familiar. Blue face. Well, I remember. I know who Nightcrawler he, he is. He bamps teleports. I remember Nightcrawler because of the original yeah. X-Men movies. anyway what is paranormal about kelsey a little boy who can see ghosts is told that he has to save the town from a witch's curse from is it 300 years maybe i don't know and he's gotta save them from a witch's curse from a long time ago okay 
the movie is $2 to rent on Redbox, $3 to rent on Amazon, Google, YouTube, and video, and $4 to rent on iTunes for some reason. You can buy it for $8 on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and YouTube, and $10 on Vudu, Microsoft, and Redbox. Should people watch Paranorman? Yes. Yes. I will be much more emphatic than Kelsey is on this. Absolutely, you should watch Paranorman. I like Paranorman. It is, I know you do, but it is one of the great overlooked stop motion movies. Like, if you were to, like, rank them, people are like, oh, Nightmare, uh, Coraline, Corpse Bride, James and the Giant Peach. Fucking Paranorman is, I will say this with confidence, the best looking Stop motion animated movie you will ever see. We disagree. I know you do because you have strong feelings about movies like Nightmare Before Christmas. And it has a great art style. But beyond that art style, the animation in this movie is mind-blowing. How fucking perfect it is. Like, legitimately incredible. I don't know I I don't know what to say. Like that it really really is. Well, it's really cool that we got to see them. That's really really Yes. Neat. Okay, so let's correct that record. I said we went to the the Disney Theater in Hollywood. That that's not where we saw it. We saw it somewhere else and we ended up there was an exhibit probably at Universal Studios or something like that where we actually saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh in the last episode I said we we saw it at that Disney Theater, but that's not the case. Yeah. And it was really, really neat. It was cool, yeah. They're not, I mean, like, they're not tiny, but they're also not huge, yeah. you know? I mean, they're pretty big. Yeah. They're like the size, some of those figures are like the size of a of a Jack Skellington or something like that from, but they're like girthier, so they're not thin and tall to look really tall than taller than everything else like Skellington was, but... Yeah, they're all proportionally that size. I thought, you know, so you get a lot of really great details in it. But like the things they think of and the way they animate it, like with that toilet paper going in the air and the stall, like basic shit like that. Like the sort of thing that you don't even get in 2D or 3D animation anymore because people aren't paying enough detail. To do this stuff in stop motion is asking a whole hell of a lot of these animators because it is not easy to do this. And they really, really did an incredible job. (laughs) I would argue that although, of course, Nightmare Before Christmas holds a higher regard in my heart. And I would watch that much more than I would watch this. And overall, I would rate it higher than I would rate this movie. I still think it's better animated. And better than Corpse Bride better than James and the Giant Peach, and better than Coraline. Coraline has a bunch of fantastic imagination yeah, to it. Yeah, Coraline has its own style exactly. going on. And a lot of that has to do with Neil Gaiman's writing, uh, the sort of scenarios he writes into everything. But still, like, if if only to watch the incredible animation in this movie, I would highly recommend that you watch Paranorman. And it is absolutely slept on. slept on. That's true. Not enough people have seen it. Yeah. So you can take our advice or leave it. At least maybe Kelsey thinks that. I think you absolutely have to take our advice. (laughs) But either way, when we get back, we will talk about 2012's Paranorman. 
from the makers of Coraline. A witch has awoken the undead. A town has come on him. Ain't room for no more zombies! And one unlikely hero will use his gift. Oh, woman! He talks to dead people. To prevent a super... Horrible old witch! You don't play fair! Natural disaster. This is getting completely out of Paranorman in eye-popping 3D rigid PG. Are they going to try to eat our brains? I think you'll be safe. August 17th. All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How does Paranorman begin? Well, they're watching a zombie movie. Yep. And it's a bad one. Yep. And it's, so Norman just loves zombies. He loves everything about zombies. Everything in his room is zombie themed. Uh Uh-huh. And his grandmother is sitting there next to him talking to him, but she is a ghost. We don't find that out right away. She's just talking to him and he's responding to her. And then when he talks to his parents, he says that he was just talking with grandma and they're like, (gasps) (laughs) grandma asked for the thermostat to be raised, Uh which upsets everyone. And his sister is just like, prove it. (laughs) I love when his mom asks him, what are you watching in there? Sex and violence. (laughs) Um, Also, his dad, like what year was this made? Uh, 2012. His dad makes a limp wrist joke. Yeah. He says that his son is exhibiting limp wrist behavior. It's like, Jesus. Yes, but that is communicated through the movie as bad. Bad, yes. His mother defends him, saying that her son is just sensitive. And the dad's like, well, he better not end up like his uncle Pendergast, which is like her brother i guess yeah it's not entirely clear we do know that norman is related to his uncle pender prendergast right prendergast something like that yeah who is voiced by john goodman yes we get to see him and he's this big lumbering weirdo guy and he's just like there isn't much time and he's got to find norman So then we get to see Norman walking to school. He's just talking to all these people that aren't there. And then we get to see the ghosts. The camera kind of spins around. And when it makes a 360, now all the ghosts are visible. I like the when he goes to pet a raccoon. But all we can see is a dead (laughs) raccoon. (laughs) And everyone's just looking at him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, so he's just walking by all these ghosts. And we see the town. And the town, everything is witch themed. And they've got this big welcome sign and it's got a witch that's being hung and it says a nice place to hang yeah (laughs) and he gets to school and everyone there just hates him yep uh and there's another kid so when he walks in it's got freak written on his locker and nearby is this other kid named neil and on his it says fatty yeah so it's pretty clear that they're going to become friends A lot of this feels like it was taken, I mean, it's, you know, it's typical kid movie tropes, but like it kind of, it feels a lot like Monster House. You've got the nerd kid whose best friend is a fat kid, and then there's a girl who's really, really smart, and the girl has the tiniest part in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So, uh, similarities. But there's like, yeah, she really only has like two scenes, maybe. She's not, I wouldn't call her part of the group. They just she's know not, her. Yeah. Right, but she's friends with Neil. Yeah, well, they're partners, right, in a in class or whatever. Oh, no, they hang out by the locker room at one yeah. point. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
We also get introduced to the the school bully Alvin, who is voiced by the guy from uh, Superbad McLovin. Yeah. yeah, Christopher Mintz Plus. Yes, I love when he says jokes and he goes, "That's so Alvin." Yeah, talking about himself. Stop trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> <laughs> we get to see that they are putting on a school play which is all about the town history, and I love the little girl in this moment, which is why I'm sad that she didn't have a bigger part to sure, play. Sure, yeah. I love that, she, so she's dressed as the witch, and she's got this ridiculous nose and everything, and she's just like, I don't believe this is historically accurate, and I love the teacher's response, it's not supposed to be. And she's just talking about how she wants Norman to give more gusto, and then she shows him like this, and then she does it all crazy. Uh That is uh, Alex Borstein, Lois Griffin from Family Guy. She was on Mad TV. Isn't she in uh, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, too, I think? I don't don't know. know. We've never watched watched it. But... She's really great. I love that she's just like, this is not going to be like the Kabuki debacle of 09. (laughs) The Kabuki debacle. I just wish that people knew how hard it is to do theater with kids. Like, it's just... (laughs) It's so impossible. Uh So then after play practice, we get to see Norman, who is approached by Neil... And Norman says to him, again, Neil, I've told you, I like to be alone. And I love Neil's response of, me too, let's do it together. Uh Norman is just like, why aren't you more mad? Why don't you get mad at all the people who are mean to you? And Neil is just like, because there's a whole bunch of reasons for them to make fun of me. I'm fat, I'm not good at sports, I do this, I do that. And he's just like... And you can't get rid of bullying, so why get upset about it? He's resigned himself to being picked on, yeah. Well, but also just, like, finding the good in life. Yeah. Finding uh-huh. the positive side. It's just like, there's nothing I could I be upset do. or I could, yeah, exactly. I can find the things that make me happy. hmm Which, I feel like they probably should have done a bigger job of that, because I feel like that's why Norman later is the way that he is. It's because of this conversation. What do you mean? Later, he'll chastise the little girl for wanting to get revenge. Yes. And it has a parallel to this conversation, but I don't feel that this conversation was highlighted enough. Well, it's it's sort of a, a sub-theme of the movie. The, the primary theme of the movie is that people do awful things when they're afraid. That is the primary message that the filmmakers are trying to get across understand that sometimes people do terrible things because they're afraid and try to tackle that fear like that should be our our primary objective like that's the this movie has a message and it's not necessarily a message that you hear all the time and it's one that i think gets across pretty cleanly but there are these sort of sub themes like you're talking about while walking home with Neil, he's approached by his uncle Pe- Prendergast, who is just like, you know, you're not supposed to talk to me because guess what? I'm just like you and I can see ghosts too. And I also know that you've been seeing some other fucked up shit, which we didn't mention. He sees some, he sees that kind of like the world's going to end. Yeah, like the, uh, he gets this sort of uh, Silent Hill effect where the world around him is like burning away. Yes. 
I don't know. There's like a there's a running joke that like he has important things that he has to tell him, and then he doesn't get a chance to. Well, he does later when he's a ghost. I guess, but like he doesn't tell him enough. Yeah, I don't know. There's some jokes that don't land. I feel like this movie. I feel like it was supposed to be way longer. I feel like there's a lot of scenes that got cut. I agree. I think that's absolutely right. It feels like it rushes through things sometimes. Which is funny because certain scenes feel like they go on for for way too long. Yeah. That's one of the problems with this film. I don't think it knew. I think, like I said, I imagine that this script was way longer and had way more in-depth scenes. And it's like, you can't do that with a movie. You especially can't do that with a kid's movie. You especially can't do that with a stop-motion movie. Well, I think especially they can do that with a stop-motion movie. They need to cut down. Like, every single scene is going to take them extremely long to make. That's what I'm saying. This movie was in production for three years. Exactly. You can't have that long of a script. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I thought you meant cutting stuff you can't do. No, I mean, like, there's just so much. And I feel like there are just some things that, that, there are some jokes that I'm like, I feel like if they had had another scene, that joke would have landed. Yeah. Well, like the escalation later on in the film of the mob to burning down the library or wherever it is that they are, the the town hall, hall the hall of records. Yeah. Like that escalation happens kind of out of nowhere. I feel like they could have bubbled up a little bit more on that, taken a little bit more time, like those sorts of things. I don't know. Real life tells me that, no, it doesn't take very much time. Well, yes, I do like, well, we'll get there, but I do like that they sort of flip the concept on its head that when zombies start appearing in front of people, people don't go, oh my God, it's zombies. They go, zombies, get them. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, they flip that on its head and I enjoy that, but they go from there to let's burn down a building with children in it, like right away and that's maybe a little bit too fast well they don't know the kids are in it except for norman and they think norman is the is reason. weird and yes but it's the point is uh, the fear of large groups can lead to hurting people yes mob mentality is <laughs> bad he leaves i guess i don't remember he just like what he runs away yeah they continue to walk to neil's house Because Neil tells him, hey, I believe that you can see ghosts. You want to come to my house and see if you can see my dog? (laughs) I buried him in the backyard. He was hit by an animal control van, which is both ironic and tragic at the same time. (laughs) Neil has some of the best lines. Neil's fantastic. He's He's very so good. I love his brother, too, who's played by... Casey Affleck. Even though we don't like Casey Affleck Yeah, I was trying to avoid mentioning Casey Affleck. (laughs) Yeah. But his brother's a total dick, and it's just like, is that that weird kid? Why is he here? But you see, the point is about him is that he's like, he's trying to protect his, his brother. little brother, you know? And But it's, we find out more about Mitch later on, which I think reinforces part of the message that they're trying to give. But he he is not immune to that same problem of maybe doing things that are kind of shitty in the interest of fear. You know, he's afraid of what, how people will treat his little brother. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so Norman does see the dog, and there's a funny bit where he sniffs his own butt and stuff like yeah. that, because he got cut in half, apparently. Yes, by the van. <laughs> and they, they, one of the things I love about this is that 
I talked extensively before the trailer about how beautifully animated this is. And I think that in conjunction with the way these characters are working off each other, especially for kid actors or young actors, I guess you could say, uh, playing Norman and Neil, the way they talk to each other here is really kind of natural. And it has a rhythm that, I mean, think about directing children on stage, right? Think about how hard it is it is just to get them to say their lines in a way that seems natural, let alone have a conversation in a way that seems natural. And this, the acting in conjunction with the animation makes this, like the way their lines just flow off of each other and their interactions just flow off of each other is really, really fantastic. It's one of the reasons I really like this movie. Why don't you try? Because I don't really, I don't you can go. No, no, it's fun. Try it. No, I don't want to. You throw it. It's no, really it's okay. You can no, throw it. I don't really, like it. It's really fun. Here, you go first. No, you try. I already went like 50 times. Okay, what do I do? You, you, you throw, you get the stick, you pull back, and you throw it. <laughs> Neil? Sorry. Meanwhile, the uncle dies. Yes, he has a heart attack uh, in his home. He tries to come back into his body. And And it works for a little bit, and then he floats away. (laughs) Yes. Then we get to see how awful this stage production is, and they're all singing Season of the Witch. (laughs) After which somebody in the the audience says, you suck. Must be the season of the witch. And I will never get to remember this moment. Season of the Witch. When they're going like, kill the witch, kill the witch, Norman's mom is just like, aren't they adorable? (laughs) And while this is going on, an owl shows up and pushes Norman back in time. It's weird. But so when he goes back in time, he like sees or he doesn't go back in time, but like he sees that the dead will rise. Yeah. uh And so... When he, He's getting visions of the apocalypse that's coming. Yeah. So when he comes back to normal, he starts screaming at the audience, the dead are coming, the dead are coming. <laughs> and then he runs off the stage and everyone's just like, what? <laughs> uh, including it's, his dad who's just like, oh. Yes. And the father on the drive home is just like, this is where it stops. You are now grounded. And he's just like, I didn't be, I didn't ask to be born this way. And the father goes, neither did we. Like, his dad's just a dick. Yeah, but, and this is where it comes from. This message of the movie starts here, where his mom tries to explain to Norman. You know, sometimes people say things that seem mean, but they do it because they're afraid. And Norman has this fantastic comeback line of, He's my dad. He shouldn't be afraid of me. And she says to him, he's not afraid of you. He's afraid for you. That fear can come from a place of love and compassion and can compel us to do things that end up hurting the people that we want to protect. And I think that that's fucking like that's a meaningful message that kids should be getting. True. But I feel like there's too much stuff in here that kind of buries it. 
Oh, I don't think so. I think they kind of it's not a dead horse, but they certainly continue to kick it throughout the movie. I don't know. I feel like by the end of the movie, I'm left with the more the message that I said earlier. They're going to be bad people, but you've got to be the better person. Yeah, but part the way you be a better person is you understand why they're behaving the way that they are and maybe work to counteract that instead of just fighting them. But so his Uncle Pet Prendergast visits him as a ghost and he's just like, I'm not going anywhere until I pass on this information. The anniversary is tonight of the witch's curse. She will raise the dead. You must go to her grave and read from the book that I have, that my body has. You've got to go get it from my body. And he's like, you've got to promise or I won't leave you alone. This is that scene in the toilet stall at school. Prendergast shows up as a ghost. Alvin's in the stall right next to him. And it's like, what's going on over here? And as he gets out and he puts his ear up to the uh, to the stall to see if he can hear what Norman's saying and who he's talking to, the whole thing just blows open when Prendergast has completed his mission on Earth and gets to go to heaven or wherever. Yes. And and it, the whole thing blows up and Norman has that kind of cliche joke. You might want to give it a minute. You might want to give it a minute. Alvin's like, you're dead, freak show. Yeah. And so this is what's going to start Alvin chasing after Norman, which is going to get him involved in these proceedings. Not totally. No, but it starts that thread. There's going to be something else that gets him to do it as well. Yeah, something coming up here. But so Norman tries to just go home and just ignore it because he's just like, this can't be real. I don't want to do it. But, of course, he's in his room and everything is zombie-themed. Uh-huh. So he's being reminded constantly that if he doesn't do it, this is going to happen. And he has until sundown. His phone goes off, and it's the Halloween theme. And I used to have the Halloween theme as my phone You did used to ring. have it as your phone. And when he looks outside, he sees a kid with a, with a hockey mask on. It's Neil. And so he's standing in the laundry outside. It's that shot from Halloween. But he's got the, but hockey, he's got the mask hockey mask on. on. Yeah. So they're combining Halloween and Friday the 13th. And it's very funny. He's like, do you want to come play some hockey? And Norman is like, no. So then Norman is then talking to his dead grandmother. And he's like, my dad said that you're not real. And she's like, your dad's a jackass. <laughs> I am supposed to be in paradise with your grandpa, but I'm not because I'm here to take care of you and your dad can't stop me. And she's just like, what's wrong? And he explains that he's really afraid of what he has to do. And she goes, there's nothing wrong with being scared, Norman, just as long as you don't let it change who you are. I promised I'd always look out for you. So it's your duty. Uh, In a manner of speaking. And you do it no matter what. Your cars. Even if it was something really scary. There's nothing wrong with being scared, Norman. So long as you don't let it change who you are. There it is. So you gotta go do what you gotta do in the face of fear. See, that's what I get from that line. Yeah, because there's two sides of that coin. There's... The people who let it change them, and they go on to do bad things that hurt people, and then the people that let it reinforce who they are and go on to do good things. It's how we react to that fear that makes us who we are and can either 
actually benefit the world or harm it. So he decides that he's got to do it. So he runs to Uncle P- Prendergast's house. And on his way there, he runs into Alvin. Who is breakdancing. Or trying to. <laughs> to impress some girls. And the girls are not impressed. <laughs> and he ruins it. And that makes Alvin very mad. When he gets to Prendergast's house. Okay, so this whole scene is so long and unnecessary. Yeah, it's him dealing with going into Prendergast's house, how scary it is, dealing with the fact that there's a dead body there and how creepy it is, and then it won't let go of the book, and then it gets its tongue on his face, and then it's this whole thing that could have definitely been shortened. It definitely could have been shortened. It was unnecessary to begin with. It was fun. It was well animated, but it was unnecessary. And the movie's already long, and like I said, there already are scenes that I'm pretty sure got cut. Yeah, I think it's too rushed already. I wouldn't necessarily say it's long. It's just rushed. I feel like it's long. I feel like it goes on. There's just. It's an hour and a half. But there are scenes like this that feel out of place. It's trying to appeal to the little children in the audience. Yeah. And I'm like. No, very much so. You're right. But I'm like, pick. Pick what you want to do. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think if you want kids to get your message, it can't just be 100% message. Right. It needs to be no, something that interests the kids. But having this stupid slapstick scene that does nothing for the story. Entertains those kids who might stick around for the message. You're acting like I don't think the rest of the film is funny. I think the rest of the film is funny. And I think there's lots of funny things. And I think there's lots of things in there for little kids. This whole scene just felt for the little kids. No, I, I, I agree. I think you're right, and I think this this could have been dramatically shortened, and we could have gotten an extra scene or two in its place that would have better paced the rest of the film. Exactly. But so he goes into the forest with the book that he finally gets, and he thinks he's found it, because it's apparently exactly where the seven people are that killed the the, the witch. Yeah, he finds the, 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 the graveside of those seven people, and he... Tries to read from the book. This is when Alvin's following him, too, and watching him do this. Yes, this is when Alvin stops him from reading from the book. It wouldn't have mattered if he did. Because it wasn't working. Right. He was reading Sleeping Beauty. That's, I think, the other important part is he he starts to read Sleeping Beauty, and he's like, what the fuck? It's a, it's a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. It's not some magic spell. It's a fairy tale. What's going on? The audience thinks that it's because he's been stopped by Alvin. And that stopping from Alvin, we think, causes the zombies to rise from the from the graves. Okay? And one of them comes up to Norman and he's just like, you must stop. And Norman tries to ask him, what? What must I stop? And I think Alvin gets in the way or something, and they end up running away. Yeah. So he doesn't ask him, even though it's very clear that they weren't going to attack. But no, Norman was was legitimately terrified of these zombies, and he was kind of confused by the fact that, that this one talks to him and says, stop. But he, he feels like it's a threat. So he's, he is actually scared. He wouldn't have stuck around if Alvin didn't, 
you know, get them moving. But he does ask, what? What must I stop? Uh-huh. And then he can't get the answer. So, so they run away. Cut to Neil's house. Yeah. Where he is apparently stopping his mother's aerobics videos to look at butts. <laughs> so good. Mitch calls him out on it. He's like, no. <laughs> get the door. And who's at the door? It's Norman's sister. Who was supposed to be babysitting him, and he was supposed to be grounded, so uh-huh. she's like, he needs to get the fuck home now. That's Anna Kendrick, by the way. Ah, yes. And she is immediately interested in... Mitch. Mitch, the older brother, who you think is just kind of dumb and doesn't understand it. Again, another plot line. Well, no. But a similar plot thread to Monster House, where the girl is interested in somebody who just doesn't get it. Yeah. But in that one, he's just dumb. Yeah, in this one, he's just not interested. Yeah. Yeah. Because we'll find out later that he's gay. And I'm like, really? You use that as a joke? They use that to support their point, And I'll get to that when we get there. Okay. So she ends up asking, and she's very nice to Neil because he's Mitch's little brother, even uh-huh. though she would love to be a bitch to him. Uh-huh. She asks him, where is my brother, Norman? And he goes, oh, I didn't think he meant it, but he said he was going up to the graveyard. And I love Mitch's response. Oh, yeah. Total slasher vibe, movie vibe up there. <laughs> and she's and the sister to Mitch is just like, will you help me? And he's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really don't want to, but okay. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Norman and Alvin run to Pen- Prendergast's house And Alvin's like, oh, my God, are they going to eat our brains? And Norman goes, I think you'll be okay. (laughs) But Norman realizes, oh, my God, the witch's grave wasn't there. Yeah. He starts counting. He's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, it's the seven victims of the witch's curse. There were seven gravestones. The witch wasn't buried there. I love when Mitch is driving Courtney and Neil to go and find Norman, and they're both just total idiots, Mitch and Courtney, and they're both, Courtney's trying to hit on Mitch, and Mitch is trying to be the strong male, and Neil is just, like, in the background rolling his eyes at their stupidity. It's well done, it's funny, and that's when they see Norman running down the street, which causes Mitch to swerve. And instead of hitting Norman, he ends up hitting one of the zombies. And I love Mitch's response when he gets out and looks at the zombie. He's like, anybody know what CPR? <laughs> He's got like his hand or something. He's got his And then head. his head pops yeah, off Yeah, that's it. Yes. So they get back into the car. And that zombie ends up grabbing onto their car and is holding on. Yes, just like in the invasion when a bunch of dudes are holding on to her car. Only this is done for comedic effect, which it should have been done in the invasion for comedic effect. There's another great example of this in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, where Paul Rubens has his arm inside the van and then when they hit the tree or whatever his arm gets ripped off you ruined my new jacket you ruined my new jacket kill him a lot anyway long storied history of people on top of vans (laughs) they pass by a cop who has a fun line of how much she hates cell phones and then she litters yeah as they're driving away with this zombie holding on 
Neil will make a plea to his brother to fix it, to figure out the situation. And he's just like, why is it up to me? And Neil goes, well, you're the oldest. And he goes, not mentally. (laughs) And so Norman explains the situation, which causes Neil to call his friend, who again has a really fun scene. And I wish that she had been part of it. More part of the story. But again, they need the point is they need to find out where the witch is buried. She's the one who sends them to the Hall of Records. So Neil's friend is very irritated that he's calling her, but she's just like, no shit, he wouldn't, she wouldn't have a grave. She was a witch. They wouldn't have given her a grave. It would have been an unmarked place. The only place that could possibly have this written down would be the Hall of Records. Mm-hmm. You need to go there and figure it out for yourself. Meanwhile, Neil in the background pops up with the hand of the zombie. It's really funny. It's well done. They end up swerving and they tumble into a parking spot. While this is happening, they like see we see random people enjoying their lives, like not noticing the carnage. Yeah. And one is like this wino fam, like these two, this couple that are drinking wine. It's just super random. And like, it was really random. I thought to myself, too, like, they fabricated those characters and then, like, never used them again. Like, it just seems like they made weird choices. They chose to include these things that they thought would be really funny. Yeah, I think because they're like default funny, right? Like, these are things that, oh, and when something's going on chaos, wouldn't it be funny to. Uh, juxtapose that with people that are having a peaceful night and don't know anything's going on. And how do we represent that? Well, they're having a romantic dinner and they clink their wine glasses. It's just, it's a little cliche. But it just, it feels out of place. Yes, it did. You're right. They end up rolling into a parking spot. They all get out. A parking spot at an auto body shop, too. Oh, do they? <laughs> yeah. I love Mitch's, uh, baby, I'm so sorry, because he's talking about his car. Courtney's like, oh, no, it's okay. Courtney yeah. thinks that he's talking to her, yeah. But then as he's walking towards it, it just collapses. Uh-huh. Then we get a long sequence of the zombies. And... A lot of this could have been cut out, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. There's a joke, and it's funny, but again, it doesn't quite land. They just don't do it well enough. There's a joke where they're walking very slowly, and the zombie... I get that it's a joke on zombies. Why are we so afraid of these things that can barely move that we could easily run away from. The joke is that the guy is waiting for his chips to come from a vending machine. It's taking forever. He ends up running away, but then the chips fall down, so he he runs runs back back, to get them. the chips, and the zombies still aren't there. Now, that's a funny joke, but what does that have to do with the rest of the film? Does it add to anything? No. Does it slow down the pace? Yes. And so it's just like, I get why you thought that was funny, but sometimes you need to to look at the pacing of your film and sure. recognize that that didn't fit. I would push back on that it doesn't add to anything. A huge part of the plot is that the people in this village are ostensibly afraid, like they scream and they run, but they're not actually afraid. It's this sort of performative fear. Yes. And that is, number one, a huge part of the message of the movie 
And number two, what leads the mob to start going crazy and going after these zombies. I that performed in fear. So I get your point about the pacing. You're right. But I, I, I reject the idea that it, it is out of place and doesn't build on anything. I just feel like there's a lot of good in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there are a lot of things that are pulling it down. Okay. So they get to the Hall of Records and it's locked. And they're just like, oh, who can pick a lock? Oh, it's got to be Alvin because he's the badass. And uh-huh. what does he do? He knocks it open or something, he right? He breaks open the glass. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. He says, picking locks is my speciality. And then he just breaks the glass. <laughs> but of course, the Hall of Records is enormous. There's way too much stuff to possibly get through. A lot of time is spent here with them trying to read the joke that Neil finished a single 24-page book or whatever. Yeah. Again, but at least these are the characters that we've come to like. Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, I agree, too. This part does slow it down. And it's just just kind of like, why? Why do you stop the pacing and then revamp it and then stop it again? Well, I, I think one of the things that baffled me is right after this, when we get to this sort of early fake climax that once they leave the hall of records neil mitch alvin all gone and they just do not have any more impact on the entire movie and it just comes down to uh, granted an important element norman and his family but you just drop all these characters that we've come to love and that's a little baffling too Mm -hmm. so yeah okay Chris is right. So here's when we get a lot of the mob stuff. And I do appreciate the message that they're giving us about mobs. Absolutely. The problem is, if I saw a zombie, I too would grab a gun and shoot it. Yes. I get that it's supposed to be, well, they weren't actually zombies. They weren't actually trying to eat anybody. These people just overreacted. I understand Mm -hmm. that. Overreacted to the point where a little girl is setting her teddy bear on fire and throwing it in through the window of the Hall of Records. Like, yes, you're saying, yes, I would take a gun and shoot a zombie. No, they are endangering the lives of other people that they're trying to protect. But again, they don't know that there are people in the building. The only person they know is in the building is Norman, a guy who they think is weird, but they're willing to kill. Well, it's because the te- the the, the, the theater teacher yells that he's a necromancer. So uh-huh. he's probably, they all think he's the one that raised But they the start dead. riling each other up and making it way more dramatic than it actually is. When you have somebody who's close to this scenario, who's the expert on things, that's trying to tell them, guys, fucking stop. And nobody's listening to them. They just, it's almost like they want to be riled up. It's almost like yes. they want to be excited. And this is a dangerous thing. Yes, there's a great line. The police officer shows up and she's just like, what the fuck? You can't fire on civilians. That's the police's job. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's so beautiful. It's so perfect. <laughs> There's a great moment when the theater teacher is just like, cry havoc and let's, let's slip let the, the dogs of war. war. And everyone just <laughs> stares at her because nobody gets it. It is a Shakespeare quote, so, like, of course, the theater teacher. Yes. (laughs) And it is funny, but it also should really be a moment where it's like, I'm smarter than these people. 
why am I along with these yep. people? Mm-hmm. You know, like that's what would happen if I if I got way into a mob and I shouted that mm-hmm. and people were like, huh? I'd be like, oh, no, <laughs> I've aligned myself with the wrong people. <laughs> I want my mob to know Shakespeare references. If you're not intelligent, then they're not the people that you should be fighting with. Maybe the point is, is that you shouldn't be acting like that in the first place, Kelsey. Yes. (laughs) But so, yes, they've decided to light the place on fire and they've grabbed all the characters except for Norman because they think that they are zombies. And I do love, there are a couple of fun lines i love i love mitch's comment of i was told i had to drive not do stupid stuff (laughs) and there and at some point they're like oh what's going on out there and he's just like not awesome things and that's when norman says get lost i never asked for your help which again, Mitch is like, come on, Neil. And Neil's like, no, I'm not going anywhere. And you he just can't make me. Hefts him up under his arm and just carries him away. He's like, man, you're heavy. Yes. <laughs> it's right when the theater teacher is like, necromancer, that the witch who is like up in the air. She's in the clouds. It's a witch's face in the clouds. Yeah. He asks her, why are you doing this? And then she sends him back in time to see what happened. Yeah. He he tries this last ditch effort to get the the spell quote unquote right where he takes the book up to the up the, the clock tower or whatever to get close to this witch face in the clouds and starts reading the story and it doesn't work. The witch kind of laughs and like shocks him, sends the book flying, and then he falls through this sort of uh, portal thing that takes him back in time. I like the idea. That the solution that the Prendergast family has been implementing this entire time of just keeping the spirit of this witch asleep by reading it a fairy tale of Sleeping Beauty every year in order to prevent it from waking up and taking out its rage on the people, that that is not how we solve problems. That is not how you effectively solve problems by repressing them. Mm -hmm. If something scares you, you push it down and you keep it from appearing so you don't have to deal with it. The movie is saying that is the wrong way to deal with your problems. And I really like that. Um, But yes, they send him back in time. And what does he see? So it's very similar to the Salem witch trials. These uh, Puritans are telling what looks like they're telling Norman, you are guilty and you are sentenced to an execution we find out that they're actually talking to a little girl named aggie agatha and her name is agatha prendergast so what we find is this is a family line and we find out that she too could see ghosts and so it's just a thing that their family can do everyone was scared of her so they tried to repress that thing that they were afraid of and they needed to kill it that's when she says leave me alone or i'll make you sorry and when they, after they've killed her, Norman is sent back to to today, to the present, and he's looking then at the zombie versions of the Puritans who did that to her. And they her. looked ashamed of themselves. And he's and... just like, how could you do that mm-hmm. to a little girl? And they're just like... We were afraid. Yeah, we were scared. We believed what we were doing was right, but we were wrong. 
And it is. It is a powerful message. And it's well done here. And I just think that if they had just cleaned up a lot of what we've seen so far, this could have been a great mm-hmm. movie. They spent a lot of time, effort, and um, skill, passion even, I would say, in doing some incredible things with this movie. But there were portions of this, I think, that were overlooked in the process. It took a very long time. They spent a lot of effort. But yes, I think you're right. I think as a result, there were things that were overlooked. Yeah, and this is when Norman realizes the curse doesn't go away. We keep putting her to sleep, but that doesn't stop it from happening. So I've got to talk to her. And it was right around this time that we see the sister, and I was like, holy shit, she has heterochromia. Yeah, it was weird. Out of nowhere. Yeah. And this is when the sister and Neil and Mitch and even Alvin decide to stick up for Norman. Yeah. And they decide to stop the mob from attacking him. Yeah, at first it's Courtney who's like, no, you will stop harassing my brother. And how do they ruin this scene? Do you remember? No. They make a grab-ass joke. Oh, yes, when they're all holding hands and then Alvin goes to hold Courtney's hand and he ends up grabbing her butt instead. Yeah. Why? It's a cliche. That's my point. Is this an 80s comedy? I agree. There are these sort of weird cliches that are just like, what the fuck is this doing in this movie? Like the clinking glasses as chaos happens outside. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, this movie is better than that. It represents, like, within the movie, there's stuff that is just so transcendent. And then they're just bogged down by these weird cliches. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the the mob is so touched by this show of love. And ashamed they, of their behavior. That they completely 180 their behavior. Yes. Wouldn't it be great if life was like that? It would that, be great, yeah. Where you could just go out and be like, you did this wrong. And people would be like, oh, you're right. I'll be a better person now. Wouldn't life be nice? But then there is, okay, now see, I do enjoy this humor, Then they're driving, and the zombie is in the car, and it's very awkward. Yes. And they Uh treat him like he's one of the kids, and it's Uh kind of funny. Like, it's weird how it can go. Mom, the zombie is on my side of the seat, or whatever. It it can go from being super serious to a bad comedy to a good comedy. Yeah. It's weird. It's all over the place. And there's a part of me that really likes this no, I, movie. I think all the great stuff about it is is way worth all the weird stuff. <laughs> I love at some point the father calls it a zombie and the mother says, stop using the Z word. <laughs> and he go, he looks at her and he's just like, I wish I understood you. That yeah, sounds so good. And then when they're looking for where the witch could possibly have been killed, they see that they're fr- they see the clouds go straight down uh-huh. to the middle of the Where first. could it possibly be? I love the mom's <laughs> response of, oh my, do you think that's where it is? <laughs> so they go running through this wooded forest area by the cemetery, and Norman gets a little bit ahead, and then the trees close off between them. Yes. Separating Norman from his parents. Yes. 
She creates spikes that come up from the ground. There's a really fun, spooky moment where he's trying to talk to her and he can't see her yet. And her voice comes up right into his ear. Oh, yeah. And it's like, I don't want to go to sleep. And you can't make me. Like, that stuff's creepy. Yeah, it's really good. Especially since Norman's ears play an important visual role in this movie. The way they do it, you can see the his ears are like, you know, how they jokingly in a lot of cartoons and stuff like that. They'll make some kids ears just like stick out really far. And Norman's are like that. But you can like see light through his ears and it's tinted red like there's blood inside of them. This is what I'm talking about when I say like the animation in this movie is fucking superb. That's the kind of stuff like those little details are incredible. So this very angry little girl burns the book and she's like, now I don't ever have to listen to that stupid story again. <laughs> and she's like this weird sort of like lightning monster version of she herself. She can't control her powers. Exactly. She's so mad at how she's been treated and how unfair it is that, yeah, she's out of control. And I thought that this was well animated as well. She kind of glitches out. and yes. This scene is very powerful. That's why I was shocked when you were just like, there's a witch. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Do you remember anything about the movie? It was eight years ago, okay? <laughs> but this is the main scene I remember. It's her glitching out and him having to just talk to her and try to explain things to her. And it's yeah. a very powerful moment. But again... That's why I'm left with the lesson of be the better person. Yeah. Which. Well, that's how you make sure you fall on the right side of that fear coin is that better person side versus the damaging person side. But I kind of wish they had brought that into it a little bit because this kind of feels this ends on turn the other cheek for me. It maybe it ends on. I think you're right about the whole be a better person thing, but it's understand that they were scared and that that sucks and that you behaving the way that you're behaving right now only justifies their behavior. I know. I wish they had ended on that. Mm -hmm. I, (laughs) I think I've mentioned this on the show before. Do you remember the cartoon Gargoyles? Yes. In the first episode, when they're still in the past, two of them or three of them or whatever are like... They think we're monsters, so let's just be monsters. Chip away from them, you beast! You're the beast. No, if they think we're beasts and monsters, then perhaps we better live up to the name. And Goliath has to, like, talk them down from that. It is the nature of humankind to fear what they do not understand. Their ways are not our ways. And for whatever reason, from when I was a little kid watching Gargoyles, like, that message really stuck with me. The idea that, like, oh, okay, they think we're monsters, so let's behave like monsters, it seemed so petty to me. And it's like, okay, you don't like them, you don't like what they think, and now you're dead set on proving them right? What the fuck are you doing? It's exactly what I teach my kids at The Outsiders. Yeah. They've been told their whole lives they're trash and that they're bad people, and so they end up behaving that way. Mm-hmm. You just get told that from day one. It's like, well, it doesn't matter what I do. That's what people say about me, so I guess I'll do it. Mm-hmm. That's why I think we as a people should be supporting people in these positions to help them, you know, not fall into that trap. Yeah, if only people weren't assholes. Yep, people are assholes. 
Only society didn't suck. <laughs> society sucks. We live in a society. <laughs> I mean, the very last thing I even wrote is him helping her go to sleep. So she, he talks her down. He explains everything. They sit down under the tree where she died. And he's like, oh, this is such a good place to sleep. But like the last thing I wrote is, aside from it's a pretty good place to sleep, what good would it do to make them suffer? Sometimes when people get scared, they say and do terrible things. I think you got so scared that you forgot who you are. But I don't think you're a witch. Not really. You don't? I think you're just a little kid with a really special gift who only ever wanted people to understand her. So we're not all that different at all. But what about the people who hurt you? Don't you ever want to make them suffer? Well, yeah, but what good would that do? Yeah, mm-hmm. And, like, I think that's a good thing to learn, but I hate that we end on you should be the better person. Yes. End She's on the big they. villain that has to be talked down. Yeah. End on that they need to be better people. Yes. Well, they already had that moment. Exactly. And I think that yeah. they should have switched those moments. Uh -huh. Talked her down first and then confronted. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, I think visually, emotionally, this one-on-one -on -one sort of moment with this powerful being is the climax. Well, exactly. And that's yeah. kind of the problem. Yes. You turned her into the big bad villain that we needed mm -hmm. to have this climax with. When, in fact, the villains are the ones we've already Absolute. dealt with. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I think you're right. I think it's a it's a conflict of storytelling of what's the better message versus what's the better story, you know, and I think it's a good point. But he does. He talks her down and she goes to sleep on her own and she's just sort of disappears. And then end of the movie, people are trying to clean up after all the mess that they've made. And oh, they see that the zombies were just normal people. Oh, yeah. They turn back into normal people before they uh, before they go off to wherever they need to go off to. And then as things are wrapping up, Courtney is flirting with Mitch again. And Mitch says to her, do you know who would really like you? My boyfriend. And, you know, just kind of doesn't carry it. And she goes, ugh, <laughs> goes on. To Kelsey's point, oh, you just did it for a joke? No, I think it was more like a the way Chris Butler talks about it. He says, if we're saying to anyone that watches this movie, don't judge other people, then we've got to have the strength of our convictions. And we've got to make that the message. And that apparently this was the first PG movie that – Glad nominated in its Glad Media Awards. And that's one of the reasons I like it so much. Is because it has a message that I think kids need. They get all sorts of messages as a kid. We try to give them messages. And that's the thing. I think there are people that might push back against movies like this. In that, oh, what are you trying to like brainwash our children? Like, okay, I'm in my 30s. I grew up during the D.A.R.E. era. And... Lying to children, you know, pot being a gateway to other harder drugs and about the consequences of your actions and about how, you know, abstinence is the only way. And like I grew up in the middle of all of that. And you're trying to tell me that this movie is indoctrinating our children and that that's bad. 
fuck you. Fuck you. Fuck you. Like, you don't have any problem with indoctrinating children except for when it's about things that you disagree with. And that's exactly what the fucking point of this movie is. is You should stop disagreeing with this. You should stop being afraid of it. Because it doesn't affect you. There's nothing to be afraid of. You should not let that fear change who you are. You should be the better person. That's why I like it. I don't think there's anything wrong with showing that to our children. Anyway, getting all worked up about this. <laughs> anything else to say about Paranorman, Kelsey? No. What do you think the movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I'm sure it's relatively high. I would guess maybe an 85. 89%. Beautifully animated and solidly scripted, Paranorman will entertain and frighten older children while providing surprisingly thoughtful fare for their parents. There's nothing scary about it. Like, there's literally nothing scary about it. Yeah, I think all the scares are comedic scares. Yes. Yeah. All the scares are comedic. I don't yeah. know what they're talking about. Even a surprisingly high Metacritic score of 72 and a cinema score of B+. So, this is pretty well regarded actually uh but again i when i say it's a movie that slept on yeah hardly, it's that anyone hardly anyone seen saw it, it. Mm-hmm. the people that did see it liked it and hardly anyone saw it which is a big bummer like a the, the studio that made it is the same studio that made Coraline. so like you know everyone loved Coraline. yeah most kids love Coraline. i don't know why they don't like paranorman it's probably because they just never saw it I think that's it. They just, or is it like the Corpse Bride to Nightmare Before Christmas, where it's like, oh, you're just trying to do that again? Oh Jesus! I am surprised to see the number of people that like Corpse Bride. I don't get it. I was just, I was very unimpressed by the movie. <laughs> I couldn't when I start. Like, I think it might be one of the first songs. I was like, nope, <laughs> fuck this. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, I imagine maybe people were afraid that it's another sort of Corpse Bride thing. Monster House, these sort of animated kids horror movies, especially a second chance by a studio that made a movie that we enjoyed. We've seen that not go well in the past. So maybe that's it. I don't know. But do you think 89% Rotten Tomatoes is overrated or underrated? Maybe a little overrated. What would you give it? I'd give it an 83. I was going to give it... Uh, you know, I think I was going to give it an 88. I'm going to give it an 89. I think 89 is right on. I think, like we talked about, there's a lot of cliche in this. Almost like they felt like they had to put certain moments in the movie. Uh, the pacing is a little weird. They could have definitely taken certain scenes out or shortened certain scenes and then added to others to make this flow a little bit better, to be a little bit more coherent as it moved along. But I think all the great, amazing things about this movie are well worth dealing with those things. So it's not quite breaking into the 90 for me, but still extremely good and highly recommended. That is our family friendly Halloween witch week <laughs> with 1993's which Hocus is Pocus, being hanged. which is being hanged. Yeah. With 1993's Hocus Pocus and 2012's Paranorman. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? It's Halloween! It's Halloween! It's Halloween. It's the week of Halloween. It's our last episode before Halloween. So you know what that means. 
I'm really excited. We're going to be watching Halloween for the return of Michael Myers, and I like four and five, and y'all can get y'all can suck it. We're starting to get into the back half of the first half of the Halloween movies, the ones that eventually lead to the whole druid cult thing. The 90s Halloween <laughs> movies, let's put it that way. <laughs> and, yes, so... Yeah, I think four and five are highly underrated. They are so underrated. The scene, they're not great, but they're underrated. The scene where he chases after her is so tense. Fuck y'all. <laughs> Listen, we like when our opinions differ from, from the rest of the world. We don't do it just because they do, but it, it gets us excited. <laughs> And we're going to watch, and this is Chris's decision. I did not make this decision. Jeez. I was under the impression that we should watch them in order, but Chris says that because they break the order, that doesn't matter it anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. So we're going to watch it with Halloween that came out two years ago. Yes, the 2018, I want to say, version. Which is just called Halloween, ha Halloween for some stupid reason. It's our third movie we'll have covered called, called just, just Halloween. Halloween. Yes, so... Uh, because that one only counts the first Halloween movie as canon. Uh, but so, they can't call Halloween 2 because they already made a Halloween 2. Yeah, well, they already made two Halloween 2s. So, I mean, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yes, it does break the storyline and starting... And we've already seen the only other movie that you need to have seen to appreciate this one. So we are. We're going to watch this now. And that way, by next Halloween, we'll be prepared for the sequel. Will Halloween it be out by kills. then? I think it comes out next year. Oof. We so might have to skip a yeah, year Yeah, I don't then. think we'll be able to use it. Yeah. Unless we can download an illegal copy and it'll probably be a cam. Ugh. Ugh. Hey, anybody who has screeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> send if you're them the type that gets screeners, yeah, send them our way. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so we're going to continue on just like every year. We're going to continue watching Halloween movies. We're at Halloween the Return of Michael Myers, that's the fourth Halloween movie, uh, and Halloween from 2018, I want to say. Yes, 2018. Yes. Uh, so be excited for that, because I know I am. I know we're getting into the weird Halloween movies that no one's ever seen. Since we didn't get any Michael Myers last year. Yeah. I just retweeted somebody else posted that uh, the Planet Hollywood in Orlando, Florida, apparently has the knife that Michael Myers wielded in Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. So bullshit. Yes. <laughs> it's just pretty funny, I thought. Like, people see one, they maybe see two, they definitely see three, and then they don't watch any again until, like, H2O. You know what I mean? Like, those are the ones that people really, really talk about. Nobody talks about these next three that we're going to watch. So I'm very excited about getting well, into Well, we all know why they don't talk about six. Yeah, six is garbage. I don't know why you guys don't like four and five. I don't get it. They go from sister to cousin. <laughs> well, we'll get there next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com. Follow us on Twitter at podcemetery. Subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews are the best help you can give us there. But even more important than that is sharing us with your friends. And even more important than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Not believing in an afterlife is like not believing in astrology. <laughs> Up and die. I'll say it's a pie. Up and maybe up and die. It's time
You can rent it for $3 on Amazon. Amazon? Amazon. And you can kind of hear in the background Sarah Michelle Geller singing her song. Did I say Sarah Michelle Geller? You did Geller? say Sarah Michelle Geller, yeah. At a dead bed's toe, at a dead bed's toe. With virgins and yabos. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Kelsey, can you get us started? How? I don't want to go to sleep.